You're listening to the audio-only version of the Moe Gamer podcast. Don't forget you can watch a video version of this episode over on YouTube. Check moegamer.net for a link to the channel. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to the Moe Gamer podcast. After a few technical difficulties we are back again uh, from the midst of what appears to be the apocalypse and the uh, gradual and inevitable end of human society but uh we we've hopefully got a fairly cheery show for you today to uh distract you from all that because heaven knows we certainly need it as well so i'm pete davison from moegamer.net and i'm joined once again by my good friend chris caskey from mrgildapixels.com how are you doing today i'm okay pete how are you doing oh, i'm exhausted <laughs> <laughs> with just everything yeah but uh you know there are there are some some nice things that I've been able to enjoy in in the last few days as well. So it's just a case of trying to focus on those things and uh, enjoy the things that we love and try not to think about everything burning down outside. You got your you got your Evercade, <laughs> man. It's all good. It's all it's all it's all peaches and cream from here on out. You got portable burger time and magical drop life. Damn right. Damn right. Okay, well then. Okay, so uh, today we're going to follow our usual three-part format, um, and if uh, YouTube's video chapter feature, which has been newly added, works properly, you may well even be able to skip between chapters easily if you are watching the video version of this podcast. Uh, if that feature doesn't work properly, everything I've just said will be completely moot point, and if you're listening to the audio version, it doesn't matter either. But uh, I just thought I'd let you know. I just thought I'd let you know this is a good opportunity to experiment with potentially a cool feature. But anyway, we will start with the news in just a moment, then we will follow that up with what we've been playing recently. And our main topic for today is we're going to talk PC Engine, or Turbo Graphics, or whatever you want to call it, because I just recently got my Turbo Graphics Core Mini, um, which is really my first proper encounter with the PC Engine. Um, and Chris has been a, a long-time PC Engine enthusiast, uh, so he's going to talk me through some of the real essentials in that collection, and hopefully say something a bit more than all of them. <laughs> <laughs> it is tempting, uh, but we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so um, let us begin with uh, a bit of talk about the news now uh, we're not going to talk too much about uh, sort of the not e3 digital events that have been happening recently because we're planning a podcast towards the end of june 2020 um and we'll get joe who's been um an occasional guest on this show to uh, to talk with us as well because we've all got different things that we're looking forward to and interested in so that should be a good discussion so most of the things that we're going to be talking about in the news today are just sort of bits and pieces that have cropped up recently and that have caught our interest and so on so uh we will start with uh the fact that sega has announced that alex kid in miracle world uh is coming back in a dx version so it's a complete remake of uh, the old master system game and uh it's developed by jankin team and merge games and they're aiming for a quarter one 2021 release um so yeah yeah you much of an alex kid fan um I'm not really super, um, like, up with Alex Kidd, um, but that's mainly because mm -hmm. I didn't have a Master System growing up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, uh, Alex Kidd was essentially, before Sonic existed, Alex Kidd was who Sega expected to be their, like, answer to Mario. It was, like, their attempt at a mascot character. Yeah. Um, and he just didn't quite catch on, um, mainly because the games are not super great. 
I mean, they're mm-hmm. they're good, they're fun, but they just don't have like the level of like polish and and uh, I, I want to say just like masterful design that like Mario did. Yeah. So they yeah. they're full of interesting ideas executed strangely. <laughs> so yeah, um, so Alex Kid's a lot of fun to tinker with and. Um, cute character designs and fun ideas but from a gameplay perspective it's never really been like tight so it's kind of always been a hard sell so alex kid has always been to me more of like a historical curiosity and like a series Mm -hmm. i'm obsessed with that being said the idea of a a really pretty new remaster uh, is great and i can't wait to play Mm -hmm. it yeah Alex Kidd's quite interesting because it's a franchise that kind of they kind of struggled a bit with the transition from eight to sixteen bit. I think mm-hmm. because uh, Miracle World was a genuinely good game. I remember enjoying that quite a bit back in the day on my on my friend's master system. Um, but like the the Genesis era Alex Kidd games are they're definitely a hard sell. They're 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 quite difficult to get into. There's there's this one that was on that recent um, Sega Mega Drive Classics collection that came out for PS4 and Switch and. Mm-hmm. I've tried to give that a go, and it's it's a struggle to play that one, um, just because certain aspects of the design, things like the one-hit deaths and sort of the endless endless rock paper scissors battles. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious um, too. That the team making this is Janken team. That, that's yeah. making because that's rock paper. Janken is rock paper scissors. Yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> but but yeah, I, I'll, I'll be interested to see uh, to see how they've uh, how they've updated this and given it a facelift and perhaps made some mechanical refinements and tweaks along the way as well because there's also the um the sega ages version of miracle world isn't there oh um, yeah switch mm-hmm. yeah um and that's that's actually quite nice because um the the border art for that game uh tells you the answers to all the rock paper scissors challenges oh so you don't so you don't have to do all the trial and error I, obviously you can turn it off if you don't want to but uh, yeah, if you if you just want to play the game and not worry on what appears to be random chance, you can just follow the instructions that are in the uh, <laughs> in the bezel art. Miracle World, is, uh... that's the one with the boss. That's like Mario, right? It has like the samurai Mario, and his name is like Mario, yeah. like M A R I dash O, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, it's... yeah, be interesting to see how this uh, how this remake turns out. I really like uh, Merge as a publisher. Mm-hmm. I have a ton of merge games on my Switch. Yeah. Um. They they did um. They did Sparklight, which I've mentioned on the podcast before that I really like. They published oh, yeah. that. They publish yeah, yeah. a lot of like cool little indie stuff. I also think they published Valfaris, which is a really awesome side scroller. Yeah. So I, I always kind of keep my eye out on what they have their hands on. Uh, I I think they did um the Switch. They published the Switch port of Aragami too, which is a really stellar stealth game in like the vein okay. of um, like Tenshu and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, they're they're a publisher to watch because they've really got their fingers on the pulse of like kind of old school indie sphere stuff. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, uh, moving on and continuing with the theme of uh, retro remakes, remasters, and that sort of thing. Um, 27 years after it was sort of originally created, um, there's a game from, um, is it Westone? You pronounce this? Westone? Westone? I, yeah, Westone, I think, yeah, Westone I usually. I don't know. 
I've never, I don't think um, I've actually heard a person pronounce. It. I just read. It I know. I have this problem occasionally. It's like it's like you look at something and like you're familiar with looking at the word, and then as soon as you come to say it out loud, you're like, "How do you actually say that?" <laughs> but anyway, um, they they have had an arcade title called Clockwork Aquario um, that has basically been lost for 27 years. Yeah, it was never um, it never published in any way. Even the arcade version never actually came out. Yeah. So so the 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 source code has been sort of missing for a long time but so they've managed to track it down uh and it's being released via strictly limited games and uh in in games or inin games and sega uh so they're working together uh the reason this is noteworthy is it's a uh it's a game from uh ryuichi nishizawa who works on the wonder boy series uh and it's an old sega system 18 game so it's got sort of that very distinctive um chunky sega pixel art look about it and uh yeah looks looks like a cool game that's uh that's gonna be a lot of fun when it comes out yeah i just do you know yeah do you know much more about this beyond that i mean not, it... not really there isn't much to know i, I mean yeah for, for for years there's been like screenshots and and stuff uh, like about it when like the original arcade boards or and co- source code were found but like to think that mm-hmm. we would actually be able to buy this, <laughs> let alone buy this in 2020 or 2021, whenever they publish this, <laughs> it's insane. I mean, I'm a huge, yeah. I, you know, we've talked many times on the show about how much I love Wonder Boy. Um, this is, mm-hmm. this isn't like a, an open, an open format side scroller like Wonder Boy, because this is an arcade title. Yeah. It's more of just an action yeah. side scroller, but it's still going to have that Westone feel, that, 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 mm-hmm. that, that, that kind of beautiful, brightly colored pixel art which i come which i've come to associate with westone games i i just i can't wait i'm such a fan yeah. of nishizawa's work and hopefully this will be successful because the interest in wonder boy has certainly been rekindled in the past two years or so mm, bet- between definitely. shantae's existence as essentially a wonder boy tribute and the new ish yeah. wonder boy games that have been coming out it's uh mm-hmm. it's, it's prime time to capitalize on that so yeah definitely definitely yeah this looks cool and like i say because strictly limited are involved with this uh, there's going to be like a limited press physical run of this as well so you'll be able to actually own a copy and have it on your shelf as well which will be nice can't wait all right uh continuing on um 13 sentinels aegis rim which is uh vanillaware uh is coming west um which i think we all expected but it hadn't been confirmed until just now so um yeah it's coming west in september of 2020 right at the beginning um it will have japanese voice acting to begin with so no dub uh although they yeah it says to begin with uh and they're adding a dub via a free patch after launch if you want to <laughs> or don't bother, or don't bother. <laughs> like, yeah. like, who, who's playing a game about japanese school children piloting mecha and are like english is the way to go <laughs> like who's, who's making that choice uh i don't know but yeah apparently the the delay of the dub is due to the whole uh, virus situation it sort of delayed the whole production schedule so they weren't able to incorporate that into the actual packaged version of the game um uh, but yeah it will be there via a free patch if you want it to be um but yeah this is the game that i don't know it's kind of hard to make out exactly how it all works really i know it's it's been out in japan for a while and it was very well received um it seems to feature a sort of combination of um storytelling scenes and then there's uh, almost like tower defense um strategic gameplay from from what i've seen so far anyway i haven't yeah. watched like a ton of gameplay footage but the the impression i get is certainly sort of strategic place things down in the right place and defend from 
all that kind of kind of thing. Um, yeah, the it's whole got a lovely, lovely art art style though, as you would expect from Vanillaware. Yeah. Just think, the, the general presentation of it's really interesting because like. Mm-hmm. It's not so much like you're seeing the action, more like you're seeing the action through a screen. It's got like a like you're directing from a war room look look to yeah. it, like the way everything yeah. unfolds. Like it does the thing where like the like the super like the neon lines appear everywhere for like missile trajectories and stuff. Like so, it's a very interesting presentation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It also looks the, like it, a lot. It just looks like there's yes. a lot going on at any one time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and then, yeah, these these storytelling scenes have got sort of close-ups of the characters and they're all sort of lovely hand-painted looking backgrounds and sort of detailed expressive characters and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, um, like I said, I don't really have a clue how this actually plays as yet, but um, it's it's probably one I'm going to check out because it, it, it looks cool. All right, uh, moving on. Um, yeah, okay, so we, we're not going to talk about everything PS5 that got released recently, but we've got a few bits and pieces we wanted to pick out that uh, were of particular note um, from sort of the Japanese gaming perspective. So uh, the first one is a thing that people have been apparently clamoring for for ages, which is a Demon Souls remake uh, is finally happening uh, for PlayStation 5. Um, so, um, yeah, so this has obviously got sort of improved graphics and performance uh it's apparently going to have the option to choose between graphical fidelity and frame rate um which some people have already been saying well if ps5 is so powerful it shouldn't need to do that should it but yeah yeah um it's being handled by uh by blue point games who have previously done shadow of the colossus uh gravity rush and the uncharted nathan drake collection so they are really good at doing quality remasters of uh, previous generation games so yeah this should be this should be good yeah, Demon Souls is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's probably probably the Souls game I think I've got furthest in, uh, which isn't saying very much. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I th- I, out, of, out of all the Souls games I've tried, it is probably the one I got the furthest in. So yeah, I, I really yeah. I really like Demon Souls. Um, not it's not like a matter of like I like it more than Dark Souls, quote unquote. It's just there's it's mm-hmm. different from a design perspective. Like I like games with a hub. I like the idea yeah. that like the. Yeah. I like that it's like contained levels and you choose where you go. I mean, not, not that the design, yeah. of, like once again, the design of Dark Souls, like that open, almost Metroid style is great and I love it, but, mm-hmm. but I do appreciate the, the level structure of Demon's Souls a lot. So. Yeah. 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 So that's looking very nice. And, uh, like I said, people have been sort of clamoring for that to happen for a long time. So it's nice to see it, uh, finally coming along. Uh, next thing we've got is Capcom teased a new game called Pragmata um which is coming to playstation 5 and also to pc i think they said probably um, it's safe to say anything also comes out on pc yeah it's yeah it's, it's coming to ps5 xbox and pc so it's coming out on on, on pretty much everything of, of the sort of next gen platforms as it were um yeah we've we've had a, a cinematic trailer for this uh that looks quite intriguing there's uh, a sort of guy in a spacesuit wandering around in um what appears to be sort of present day um a present day city but there's there's no people around and then there's a little girl and she's got a digital android cat with her and then they all get sucked into the moon and i don't know it looks it looks weird but it actually looks kind of cool the 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 sort of the whole vibe of it is is kind of intriguing yeah this kind of like what the hell's going on sci-fi it's so big right now like i mean I, i couldn't help making immediate comparisons to um death stranding when i saw this trailer 
Yeah, you're not alone in that. A lot of people have have mentioned that. It's very much like, hey guys, hey guys, remember Death Stranding? Remember that that also (laughs) had a trailer? And Kojima Games likes guys in bulky spacesuits too. So uh, (laughs) we're gonna we're gonna try that. We're gonna try that too, guys. Like that's kind of the way this feels. But um, yeah, Yeah. it's it's Capcom. So we'll we'll see what it is. Um, Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I think I think I think Capcom have sort of built up enough goodwill over the over the last couple of years that they can they can they can afford to try something a bit weird and experimental now. Oh yeah, they, for sure. They, Capcom has definitely had a sort of real redemption arc over the last few oh, years. Yeah. No, I, say. I'm not down on Capcom. They're they're mm. one of they're like pretty much the only surviving like sec of the second party greats from the old days, right? Yeah. Like yeah. there was always like First party developers, second party developers, third party developers, and like the old gaming structure. Like, uh, when I say second party, I mean like the big guys who weren't first party, right? Your Capcoms, your Konamis, yeah. your Hudsons. Like, uh, Konami still exists technically, but not, mm-hmm. not really. But like Capcom is it. Capcom is really the last surviving. Capcom and Sega are like the last yeah. surviving, like second big Japanese second party devs. And they, mm-hmm. they consistently put out good, content i mean i i don't like the sales model of like street fighter 5 or whatever just like the yeah, dlc seasonal stuff <laughs> but like uh, let's face it monster hunter world is great um mm-hmm. and they continue to support it beautifully and i'm not a resident evil fan but they sure continue to do right by the resident evil community so yeah i i, I respect capcom and i continue yeah. to buy their games yeah good stuff also, whatever yeah. happened to Deep Down? <laughs> what, what is- yeah, no. I, I, I remember like some rando getting really offended by it for some reason, and then <laughs> we didn't hear anything else about it for like years. So I don't know. I think that's dead. Yeah, oh for sure. I just like wasn't that announced like when the PS4 was <laughs> I was gonna Yeah, I was gonna say that was gonna be like a PS4 launch title, wasn't it? Or something like that, but no, that never happened. <laughs> Oh well. I did read recently that one of the guys who was involved in Dragon's Dogma was working on something new. Yes, that's right. I just um, don't remember what it was. But Dragon's Dogma is no, great. That's another that. yeah. that's another Capcom like exp- really experimental great game. Like Dragon's Dogma yes, is awesome. Yeah, widely beloved that one as well. That's what that's one that sort of everyone seemed to absolutely love. Like even even people who don't normally like sort of open world vaguely western inspired rpgs seem to enjoy that one i i've played a little bit of it and i i enjoyed what i played of it but i haven't i haven't explored it in detail but the the little bit i played seemed very cool it's kind of the best of everything it's it's a little bit yeah. of, it's a little bit of open world but unlike western open world games it has delicious combat that's consistently fun to engage with yeah so like it's yeah, yeah dragon's dog is a great game so yeah capcom again they're around and they're making good stuff mm-hmm. yeah for sure all right, uh, continuing on, uh, Square Enix announced a PlayStation 5 exclusive, uh, which is called Project Athia at the moment. Uh, that's just a working title, though, so that may, um, well, probably will end up being something else. Um, this is by their new studio uh, co- called uh, Luminous Productions. Sorry, I just noticed I said it was a PlayStation 5 exclusive, but it's also coming to PC. So, <laughs> you know. The idea of the console exclusive appears to be rapidly dying. Yeah, um, well, like, like those console the, exclusive, like exclusive on this console, but then yeah. like in parentheses, also PC. Yeah, yeah. but it's That's it's true. it's That's... it's smart. So you know, these games yeah. do well yeah. on PC now. This idea that it's the, the PC console divide is mutable, 
Like, if you're a mm-hmm. PC guy and you want this stuff, then you can have it. Yeah, exactly. And then the co- the console market, for the moment anyway, still has the, the actual collectible aspect to it as well, doesn't it? So, yeah, so I guess it's sort of best of both worlds. Uh, but anyway, this game is, uh, like I say, developed by Square Enix's uh, Luminous Studio. Um, and it's based on the Final Fantasy 15 engine. Um, and so conjecture is that um, the the budget from what was originally supposed to be the last few Final Fantasy 15 DLCs is instead being ploughed back into this. Um, so yeah, there's uh, there's a trailer out now that um, doesn't show a ton of what we can expect from actual gameplay and stuff, but it sort of suggests like a big open world and lots of exploration and that sort of thing. Uh, it apparently provides you with a vast and detailed world filled with beauty and dismay. Mm. So, if if what um, was shown actually is gameplay, this looks like it has a mm-hmm. really like nice kinetic feel to it. Lots of like mo- yeah. like motion and movement. Um, like if it is to be some kind of open world thing, I don't know. They haven't really used those words to describe it, but like there's just mm-hmm. a lot of like jumping and dashing and like fun movement. So uh, okay, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. So I mean, again, it's it, there's not a a huge amount of information about what this is really whether it's a action game an rpg or anything like that but uh yeah it seems to have a, a female protagonist um who is exploring a world that might not be her own one uh, where she's sort of discovering things and there's like a combination of man-made and nature around the place so yeah could 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 be intriguing um i mean if it's a triple a open world game i'll have to wait and see whether it's actually worth exploring but uh, you know i enjoyed final fantasy 15 so if they can sort of flesh out some of the ideas in that um then yeah i think i read somewhere as well that they um oh yeah it was in the in the silicon era article where this was sort of announced in the first place uh, they've sort of said that rather than trying to do a sprawling multimedia thing like they did with final fantasy 15 they're instead going to focus on just finishing the game first of all and then if that does well they will expand it out to other what? other business ventures blasphemy so uh, you can't just make a video game nowadays I know. crazy right crazy right not making an entire multimedia franchise before you finish Jesus. the actual thing the multimedia franchise is based on who'd have thought it it's like they're learning lessons how about it <laughs> oh, well. anyway Anyway, uh, next up, just a quickie. Um, there is an Okami Nendoroid on the way. Yeah. Um, so you can have a cute little chibi Amaterasu on your desk. I love Nendoroids, and Jesus Christ, <laughs> look at it. <laughs> it's... Yeah, adorable. Um, yeah, is there a date on that at the minute? Um, so it was originally teased back in February of last year. Um, let's try to see if there's a... Yeah, it's available for pre-order now. Um, it's uh, 5,500 yen for the standard edition and 7,700 yen for the DX. That's about 55 and $77. Uh, and they're reckoning it's going to ship in November of 2020. So, yeah, if you, if you want one of those, get on Good Smiles website now. Um, and you should be able to... It, sec- it comes with, like, different weapon accessories. Like, it's a really nice set. Yeah. I don't know. I love it. Good Smile's been killing it lately, because yeah. they also just announced the uh, Sakura from the new Sakura Wars that I'm playing. Oh, nice. It's, yeah. Nendoroids are a problem. <laughs> yeah. And I'm pretty sure I shared with you the other day, there was an interview with Matt Bozon from 
uh, way forward. Oh yes, yes. And he, and he was like, he was like, I love Nendoroids. Like, so hopefully, <laughs> Good Smile gives him a call. Yeah. And I get my the Roddy Tops Nendoroid of my dreams. Oh, yeah, that'd be awesome because like Shantae's art style is ideal for that sort of thing. Excuse the motorbikes in the background. Um, yeah, yeah, that would be ideal. And sort of they they seem very open to sort of um doing Shantae merch as well because Limited Run have got that Shantae plush, haven't they, and stuff and all that sort of thing so yeah hopefully we'll see some more shantae toys around the place as well all right uh and there's those vinyl model kits too mm, yes yes okay continuing on um there is a new metal slug game on the way in fact there's several new metal slug games on the way uh one for console one for mobile uh, and they're aiming to come out this year um the mobile game is going to be what they call a 2d side-scrolling card game whatever that means um, and the console title um, is just a, a traditional run-and-gun side-scrolling shooter like uh, past Metal Slug ones. Um, the mobile and cons- uh, console games are aimed at different markets, apparently. So the mobile game is aimed at 10 to 20-year-olds, and the console game is aimed at 30 to 40-year-olds, which actually sounds about right for us. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. We're officially old gamers. There you go. Um, but yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense, actually, because sort of... Um, Yes, a lot of mobile games are very much a young person thing, aren't they? So, but uh, yeah, whereas whereas the people who grew up with Metal Slug would indeed be sort of thirty to forty now. So, there we go. Um, yeah, so they're aiming for that within twenty twenty, but they they haven't given a specific date on that. But they're they're aiming for that. But obviously, that will depend on yeah. everything going on, as with everything else at the minute. It's very cute that they think that's even a possibility. <laughs> yeah okay uh next thing up um there's a new playstation vita game out uh that is also on ps4 and switch but yeah it has got a vita release as well uh this is demons tier plus uh which is the third game from uh, a developer called diabolical mind who previously made uh xenon valkyrie and uh riddled corpses which are two sort of lovely you love these guys yeah they're really cool um I, i forget where diabolical mind's from he's like Hold on, let me look, let me look it up so I don't say something uh, completely incorrect. Is it another classic example of like awesome indie games coming from Brazil? Could be, it's it's <laughs> something like that certainly. But but basically, what what happens with Diabolical Mind is that um, he's like a, a like a, a one man developer basically, and he releases stuff on PC. And then there's a guy called Fabrice Breton who runs a company called Cowcat Games who ports them to consoles, often with a few enhancements along the way. Uh, so he did like Xenon Valkyrie Plus for PS4 and Vita. He did Riddle Corpses EX for again PS4 and Vita. I think that might be on Switch now as well. Xenon Valkyrie certainly is. Um, but yeah, in the porting process, he sort of adds some new features and refines them and polishes them up a bit as well. So they have um, sort of a nice partnership there. So um, yeah, Demons Tear has been out on PC for a little while, but it's just come out on Vita playstation 4 and switch um and seems to be very well received as well it's uh, a sort of uh, action roguelike um with a lot of different uh, characters to choose from and some nice pixel art and chip tune music and uh yeah 
East Asia Soft are doing a physical version of it as well via uh, Play Asia. I think the Vita version of that is already sold out. Um, like, oh gee, I was just I was just gonna say I'm tempted to get yeah. it, but if it's sold out already, <laughs> I don't know about the PS4 and Switch version, but the yeah yeah I, I looked earlier and the 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 Vita version had uh, had sold out. Uh, there was only like going to be a very limited number of orders for that, obviously, because uh, they've stopped they've stopped sense. making Vita cartridges now, so there were only so many that they could do for that. Um, That's a shame. I really would have wanted the. Uh... Just, I, w- I wanted a Vita one just just to do it, yeah. Just to be like, hey, I got a new Vita yeah. game again. Yeah. Like that's. Well, I, I mean, that will probably end up being one of the last Vita games available physically, won't it? So aside from maybe sure. maybe a couple of limited run things, depending on where that last stock of cartridges went. Um, but yeah, yeah, sold out already. <laughs> but there you go. Yeah, this this certainly looks uh, looks worth checking out. I haven't tried it myself yet, but uh, as I say, previous stuff from Diabolical Mind has been really fun. So worth a look worth a look okay uh moving on um we've got uh, a couple of um cool formerly pc indie games uh coming to switch we have uh, hakoniwara explorer plus which is a sort of isometric um action game um it's kind of built in a strange way i can't remember if it's actually built with voxels or if it's if it's just sort of using a very strange method of putting its screens together but it's got, it's got a very distinctive sort of isometric pixel art aesthetic about it and a very sort of chunky feel to it and uh, lots of monster girls which is great um i've played it a little bit on uh pc and it seems like a lot of fun but it's a, a really great fit for switch i think because it's sort of very friendly to just wandering around and exploring for a little while having a bit of handheld fun um but then there's also like a, a substantial main quest to follow as well and alongside that <laughs> um we're also getting a switch port of one way heroics plus as well um oh yeah i did see that yeah which is cool um it's interesting it's not the spike chunsoft remake uh from a year or two back that uh that they're porting but it's actually the original pc version by smoking wolf i don't think the spike oh. chunsoft version did that well uh for various reasons i mean it was it was a, a perfectly fine game uh but it had a few sort of performance issues at launch particularly on pc um and i think that kind of killed its sales a bit which is unfortunate because it ended up being a good game um it was actually a, a cover game feature i did on moe gamer back in like the first year of me doing that on the site so i've got a ton of information about that on moe gamer if you want to find out a bit more um but yeah one way heroics plus which is probably my favorite version of the game because that was an enhanced version of the original pc version uh, with lots of extra quests and character classes and a substantial meta game to it is coming to switch as well so I will probably pick that up because that's that's one of my favourite sort of coffee break roguelike type games, and it's got a really interesting premise behind it. If you've not played it before, it's um, it's an auto-scrolling turn-based roguelike uh, that is mostly based around sort of overworld exploration rather than dungeons. Um, so basically, you are constantly running to the right uh, to avoid the other side of the screen, which is catching up with you. And so you have to explore this world and collect weapons and gain experience and stuff all the while while constantly moving forwards. It's a really fun game. I hate it, <laughs> but, but, I, but, I, but I get, but I understand why other people like it. <laughs> Uh, right, uh, next thing we've got, uh, I, I haven't seen this one at all, so I'm sure you've got something to say about it. Though. This is uh, Kogan or Kojin Sword of Rewind, uh, is a uh, side-scrolling action platformer from Gem Drops. Um, so this is sort of inspired a bit by Mega Man and that sort of thing, isn't it, from from what I've seen so far? what It looks so much like an Intercreates game, it's ridiculous. 
<laughs> oh god yeah like, it I'm looks just looking so- at the trailer now yes that looks very much like, like gun vault <laughs> yeah like if you hadn't if you had not told me it wasn't an intercreates game i would be like oh this must be the new intercreates game <laughs> um yeah i don't know it looks it looks cool there's there's like a sword deflect move i think that's kind of the the, the big crux of the gameplay that's special yeah. is that you could like hit hit enemy projectiles back at them yeah um, also, the music is like mad good mm-hmm. in this trailer, and I and I know it's someone who I should know, and I can't remember who it is because I saw who who it is. I remember thinking like this sounds so much like X's musical yeah. style, but I can't remember who it is now. Uh, I can't. I don't know if it's in a trailer when it's like music by so and so. Motoi Sakuraba. There you go. Because yeah, it sounds like his stuff. Yeah. Specifically, it sounds like his stuff from um, uh, Tales. Yeah. Like, it sounds so much like Tales music. Yeah. And um, very much like his work on um, some of those action RPGs of, like, the Xbox PS3 era. I'm thinking of things like uh, Trusty Bell and, um, oh, God, what was that other one that he did? Um Oh, I'm having trouble thinking of it. But yeah, it's it's pure Motai Sakuraba. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I will play the shit out of this when this comes out. <laughs> yeah, it, do- it does look very cool. It's got that sort of distinctive, smooth, super slick pixel art kind of Mega Man Zero look about it, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Looking lovely. So yeah, we will uh, watch out for that for sure. Is there a date on that? Um, 2020 release on PlayStation 4, Nintendo Switch, and PC. So, no specific date, but this year sometime. So, keep an eye out for that one. And th- and this has that look of like, yeah, one of the limited press houses has got to pick this yeah, up. Yeah, definitely. Like, there's, I don't even have a, I don't even have a question in my <laughs> mind about that. Yeah, I'm hoping the same with Hakinoa Explorers Plus too. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping someone picks that up for sure because that that just screams. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's yeah. I think you're right. That's probably got enough sort of cult. Um, cult value to it to to make it worthwhile for them but uh yeah neat okay uh next thing um we've got a remaster of kingdoms of amalur reckoning um showing up in well supposedly this month um oh really (laughs) but i know that people went bonkers for it when it first came out um because it was it was sort of like a really good combination of people behind it so there was uh it's it's really good man yeah. it's really it's a little janky but it's really good yeah, that's, that, that's what i remember everyone saying about it it's like yeah this is jank but it's great um so it's got contributions from re salvatore uh it's got music bomb grant kirk hope and it's got um art from todd mcfarlane so yeah um a, a, a sort of a dream team of um kind of uh, western developers and writers there so but yeah, I, I I don't know a ton about the game, but like I say, I do know it was very well regarded when it first came out, and so a remaster is uh, a, a very welcome sight. Uh, apparently, there's a couple of things that make Kingdom of Amalur really cool, mm-hmm. right? First of all, it's an original IP; it's new, yep. right? Like they made a new IP. Yep. <laughs> like, oh, how often does it happen? Um, but like, and I, once again, I hate to be that guy who like, describes games by uh, by uh, in terms of solely other games. But, like, Kingdom of Amalur was really cool because it was almost like this mixing pot of, like, incredible mechanics, like, picked and chosen yeah. from, like, other games. So, like, imagine, if you will, a, a massive open RPG in, like, the vein of traditional Western massive open RPGs, mm-hmm. um, like like uh, Skyrim or, like, your, your Elder Scrolls stuff. Yeah. 
but but it's got a co- very cartoony aesthetic, mm-hmm. like almost like a like a comic booky aesthetic because Todd McFarlane. Yeah. Um, but it's third person. The combat is like God of War style, mm-hmm. like dodge dodge and combo heavy. Yeah. Um, Matt, like character building and customization with like skill trees and different classes, plus like a Diablo style like loot. Like, all mishmashed into, like... (laughs) And, like, there's a couple DLC packs that are massive. Like, add, like, new story and, like, new continents. Yeah. And, like, I never bought the PS... The original PS3 one because I was like, one day there'll be a complete edition, (laughs) and there never was. Well, now there is. So, like, now this is it. (laughs) So, hopefully there's a physical pressing of it, because, like, I I really like this game, and I, I want this very badly. Yeah. Yeah, so this is this is set for release on August the eighteenth, um, which is uh, which is nice. So it's been confi- officially confirmed by THQ Nordic now. So yeah, the story behind this, I think, what, one of the reasons why this was um, sort of reasonably well known and talked about was the original developer actually went bankrupt um, after putting this out, and um, this was one of the many properties that THQ Nordic picked up a while back that got people all excited. Um, Along with stuff like time splitters and that stuff like that, mm. pe- it, yeah, people people were sort of thinking about it a while back. It's like, oh, I wonder if they're going to bring Kingdoms of Amalur back. And uh, yes, they are. So here it is. <laughs> if if you have time in your day and you're not familiar with the history of Kingdoms of Amalur's development, it's really worth looking into. Mm. Yeah, because it's a fascinating lesson on like the weirdness of the video game industry. <laughs> Because, like, there were, like, lawsuits involved because, like, part of the funding for Kingdom of Amalur was actually, um, like, came from, like, a grant from the state in which it was made. Yep. So, like, there's just a whole, like, thing. Mm-hmm. And there were, like, lawsuits and, and just p- politics got involved with yeah. it. And, like, uh, who the guy who originally, like, funded it or, like, started the development team was, like, a baseball player, I want to oh, say. Yes, like, I don't, yes, I remember that, like, yeah. Can't, it was just a huge thing for for like years mm. uh, that it was going to be this amazing game and it came out and it tanked and like everyone lost money mm-hmm. on it uh, and just really weird but then in retrospect it's just a fun curious game that is 100% worth playing yeah. so yeah very much worth time to research the story of this game mm-hmm. but also the game is worth playing because now years down the line after the hype has died around it, it yeah it, it wasn't what was promised no it, uh, which is often the case but is it fun mm. hell yeah <laughs> yes yes yeah well I'll have, to, I'll have to pick that up then it's like that that sort of the, the fact it's a complete bundle and if they actually do do a physical pressing of it which hopefully they will um yeah i, w- I will give that a look for sure Okay, uh, continuing on. Um, the that's the the one and only acknowledgement of the chaos that is going on in the world right now. Uh, we we can tie it to video games because you can tie most things to video games these days. Um, in support of um, the uh, the various sort of charities that are helping out all the sort of ra- racial tensions and things that are going on in the states and around the world at the moment. Um, the indie gaming website Itch has put together a bundle for racial justice and equality, uh, which is a it's a pay what you want bundle. Um, at the time of recording, uh, it's going on for about two and a half more days. Uh, so by the time you listen to this, there's not going to be a lot of time left to pick this up. Um, 
but you might you will you will want to take a look at this because it's pay what you want minimum of five dollars there are 1658 games in this bundle <laughs> yeah yeah uh, bought- i'm not i'm not here to talk about politics i'm just here to tell everyone that i guess talking about this is useless though if it's only going to be available for two more days now that i think about it when we publish the cast <laughs> yeah well people but, people will have a couple of hours to, to to still get it the day we publish this but i i, I think yeah. it's worth acknowledging this anyway because this is like an incredible collaboration between indie developers and and yeah I know some people sort of look at itch and they think, oh, it's it's all sort of like very small scale stuff and single single bedroom developers and that sort of thing. But no, there's some there's some big well known stuff in this bundle now. You've got stuff like Celeste, uh, you've got Night in the Woods, uh, you've got Arcade Spirits. Um, what else is in there? You got Anodyne. No, there, there's there's loads of stuff in there that's worth the price of admission. But also, all the little stuff is worth. Oh the yeah, price absolutely. Of admission. You should want. Yeah. You should want to fiddle with this little bedroom. Absolutely, yeah, because yeah, it, it has some fantastic stuff. But, but uh, it, it's one of those things that because this the, because there's so much there, it's kind of difficult to know where to start sometimes. So picking up this bundle is a good way to sort of confront yourself with a bunch of games and sort of pick one at random and think oh that looks cool or something like that like this there's sort of like a ps1 inspired survival horror game that i really want to check out and um yeah some visual novels and like nuclear thrones in there and um minute minute i've really been wanting to check minute out yeah minutes in there just like every time i hit my scroll wheel i see at least something else i've heard of (laughs) that i've been meaning to check out so it's just incredible yeah. there's also uh, there's also a bunch of like asset sets in there as well so those of you who are interested in making games in various ways uh, there's a bunch of like sort of platformer and rpg tile sets and uh, sound assets and music assets and stuff in there as well so this this could be sort of a good way of picking those up as well so yeah there's a bunch of really exciting stuff there so regardless of however you feel about what's going on right now um yeah this is this is an interesting and worthy investment so far they've raised six million dollars with this bundle um like over nearly six hundred thousand people have bought a copy um (laughs) the top contribution someone bought it for five thousand dollars um but like i say the the minimum you have to pay for it is five dollars so that is an incredible deal yeah yeah if you have any curiosity essentially in exploring the bizarre indie sphere and the little indie mm, sphere yeah you know it, this is this is it this is a way to see some stuff <laughs> yes yes I, I will probably delve into a few of these things in the coming weeks on moe gamers like I've, I've got a lot of stuff that i want to sort of pick out and, and cover over the next few years i'm sure i'll talk a bit about a few of them in the uh, in the coming segments but yeah there's there's a lot of stuff in here that i want to uh, to give a go as well all right uh then finally um <laughs> we've done it again oh there's not much news this week goes on for 42 minutes uh, last of all um fantasy star online 2 uh 1 is out now um i know some people have been having trouble with the pc version but I, i've not had an issue with it at all but i know some people are struggling a bit with sort of getting it installed and so on but uh i had a lot of trouble getting it set up yeah and getting it running mm-hmm. but once i conquered that it run then it's fine yeah. like once you get it set up it's fine yeah I, I know that Sega do appear to be aware of the issues that some people are having. Um, a lot of them seem to stem from the Microsoft Store at the minute, and I believe a while back they said that there was going to be some sort of Steam release as well. So, um, yeah, oh, if you yeah, are having trouble good. with that, there are ways around the Microsoft Store that I've seen as well. 
uh, and things you can download to sort of get it working out. But if not, you can sort of wait a little while for the Steam version. Um, but the news is that um, the current launch version that you can play in the West goes up to episode three of the main story. Uh, I think there's eight in Japan at the moment now. Um, and episode number four is coming to North America in August. Um, so, yeah, they, they're sort of fairly rapidly um, sort of bringing in the new content to, one, to keep the game interesting, and two, to um, gradually kind of catch up with uh, Japan, I guess. But, yeah, yeah. It's incredible to think about, but, like, I saw another article listing the stat that, like, don't forget, essentially there's eight years worth of back content. Yeah, exactly, exactly. For this game uh, on its way to the West gradually. Yeah, so. absolutely bonkers absolutely bonkers well I'm, I'm sure we can talk a little bit more about fantasy star online 2 in the next segment because we, we've both had a, a bit of a go at it so let's save that for then um sure. i think that's all the news for now isn't it unless there's anything else you want to bring up nope that's it all right let's take a short break then and then we'll come back and we'll talk about what we've been playing recently so we'll see you in a moment Welcome back for our second segment. We're going to talk about what we've been playing recently. So, um, since we sort of teased it at the end of the last section, do you want to talk a bit about Fantasy Star Online 2 first? Sure, we can. Sure. Um, yeah, so Fantasy Star Online 2 is out now uh, for the West. As we've said, um, you can get it through the Microsoft Store. You might have to do a bit of tinkering and jiggling to get it to work. As a European, I had to sort of jump through a few hoops to actually be able to download it, and I can't actually pay any money for any of the premium stuff in it because of store region mismatches and stuff oh, like that is but it not technically even out in your region yet um you can see it on the microsoft store but you can't actually download it or uh, buy any of the dlc for it bizarre uh so i don't know what the situation is officially it's only out in north america but like sega themselves have said like look if you can add it to your account you can play it so I don't know what's going on there. Um, I don't know why they haven't released it worldwide. But uh, yeah, it, it the game itself is effectively region free. It's just if you want to actually pay any money into it, uh, you need to be in North America or find a way of convincing your Xbox account that you're in North America. So, which is possible. I just can't be asked to do it right now. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. Um, so I've been having some fun with this. Um, it's been a long time since I played Fantasy Star online in any form. Um, but I used to really enjoy the Dreamcast and the Xbox versions, I think, were the ones I played the most um, mm-hmm. back there. And it's bringing back a whole ton of really nice memories. It's uh, A lot of it feels very much like a sort of... Um, a prettier version of the original in a lot of ways, which is sort of exactly what I wanted from it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that's sort of coupled with... Um, there is an almost overwhelming amount of stuff to do in the main hub area now, uh, which I think is... I, I I wouldn't be surprised if some people find themselves bouncing off it a bit because of that. Like, I have. Imme- yeah. You immediately get thrown into a lot of stuff. Um, and as we said in the first section, there is sort of eight years worth of updates and additions to the formula and that sort of thing, and that can be completely overwhelming. So... Um, all I can really say is um, stick with it because it's fun. 
and once you understand <laughs> the things that you need to focus on and understand the fact that it's very much a game about setting your own priorities and setting your own goals and that sort of thing rather than necessarily following a linear storyline or main quest through um yeah you you can have a lot of fun with it um yeah so um, i mean let's let's hear some of your thoughts on it i know you, you've said you've sort of bounced off it because of the the overwhelming stuff to do but uh, i know you're a fan of like the combat and the gameplay and that stuff so yeah it's it's difficult for me i'm very like for the past three weeks now i've been very like back and forth and back and forth and back and forth about this game primarily because the original fantasy star specifically the episode one and two version that's on the mm-hmm. gamecube and xbox are like my top five games of all time yeah like yeah. i am such a fan of the original fantasy star online I, like it's one of my favorite things in the world. Not just my favorite game. Like I'm obsessed with the original Fantasy Star Online. <laughs> like some of my like greatest memories of like the best part of my life are like tied to like just playing Fantasy Star Online with friends. Um, so like there's a lot of like greatness to uh, like to the two um, specifically. Like uh, all the sound effects are the same. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. <laughs> the like, menus like, like, and stuff. Like this little bloop that the menu makes. I love that sound. And like and like noise. the timing for the combat. They're like tss, tss, yes tss, for like for like the special attacks. Like oh, I love it. It's all the same. Um, but I just for one thing, I'm extremely sensitive to free to play stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, I will say flat out, um, the free to play stuff in Fantasy Star Online 2 is not tied to the game stuff that is a necessity. So yeah. you're, you're never locked out of quests. You're never locked out of weapons and equipment in any way. Mm-hmm. But if, like me, you are thinking constantly about the design resistance baked into free to play models, there's still little stuff there that I just can't get past and I like can't yeah. forgive yeah. because it feels baked like the the ways to incentivize you to spend money on the microtransaction stuff is baked into the design hard. Yeah. Like li- little little stuff like um okay, one of the greatest things about Fantasy Star ever is raising a mag. Right? Your little robot yeah. buddy that you feed to develop stats to aid you in combat. Yeah. The only way to get a second mag is to buy it. Mm-hmm. There is no... You cannot... Unlike the original Fantasy Star, uh, blank mags were a rare drop. You could get them as yeah. part of standard gameplay. Um, there is no way to get a mag in Fantasy Star Online 2 unless you buy it. Okay. Um, so unlike the original Fantasy Star, Fantasy Star Online 2 is great because you build a character and you are not locked into your class. Your class choice is not locked once you build a character. Much like uh, Final Fantasy XI and Final Fantasy XIV, you can actively switch your class and level multiple classes up with one character. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. But the way mags are raised, you raise a mag specifically to enhance the needs of your class, right? If you're playing yep. a hunter or a melee class, you want to raise that mag to give you melee support and some defense. Right, like if you're playing a ranger, you want a mag that increases your accuracy for your shots and your and your and your ranged attack power and also some defense, right? Yeah. So so baked into that is the notion that like if you want to switch classes and be effective, you're either going to have to reset your mag or have a separate mag. Yeah. But the mag resets and separate mags are um, premium items that you can only buy with real world money. Mm-hmm. So like that that like there that that's baked in resistance. Um, also, this game, unlike the original Fantasy Star, 
bombards you with items. Yeah. Like, so, like, the original Fantasy Star, like, items, weapon drops, armor drops were very sparse. Every, every one was kind of meaningful. Um, Fantasy Star Online 2 is the opposite. Like, I'm regularly, like, you regularly max your inventory out, like, three to four times on a mission. It just drops constantly. Um, and there's reasons behind that, because you consume weapons you don't want to level up the weapons you like. You consume weapons to feed your mag. So, like, there's all reasons for it. But if you like to collect various weapons, uh, and you like to have a lot of stuff in stock, the, um... Based on the quantity of stuff they give you constantly, which includes cosmetic items that you're definitely going to want to keep, um, the inventory they give you for free is disgustingly low. <laughs> it's like 500 items, and when you buy the inventory enhancements, they are timed. It's not uh, yeah. like like you don't buy an inventory enhancement. You don't pay. Tw- five bucks, ten bucks for an inventory enhancement, and you forever have added that bonus to your account. Yeah. Like, that inventory is uh, on a 30-day ticker, as if it was a subscription, and then you've got to pay, again, to continue to have access to that inventory. That is yeah. disgusting. Like I, like, I hate that. Absolutely hate that. So, a lot of the microtransaction stuff is kind of really gross to me in this game, even though mm-hmm. it's not as bad as some other games. Another primary example was... Uh, I paid $30 for the Raggle Memories Pack, yeah. which which gives you special currency to go and spend in a special shop to buy costumes so you can make your characters look like uh, original Fantasy Star characters. It has all yeah. the original costumes. Um, so I thought for 30 bucks I was going to get that full costume set. Yeah. You do not. For $30, you get, like, I think it was 20 of the special currency... And the special costumes are, like, I think six a piece. Yeah. So I could only afford, like, four of the special yeah. costumes for $30. Yeah, that's weird, because there's no other way to get those tokens, I don't think. No. You've got to keep buying the Ragol Memories currency. Mm. It's gross. So, yeah. so one, I mean... Oh, go ahead. One thing I think worth noting is that although there is... Um, a lot of stuff that you initially buy through premium currency. Um, there don't appear to be any restrictions on um, trading. So, like, if you look at the the player run shops, which also is a premium feature, it's part of part of one of the sort of premium set things they do that include the inventory expansion and that sort of thing. One of the things you can do with that is you can run a player run shop, um, and a lot of people are selling. Um, the sort of things like the premium costume items and stuff uh, that you can just buy with the the standard in-game currency that you get just through normal questing and so on. And it's very generous with that currency, I've found. Mm, um, that's good. So for a lot of things, not, not everything that you've talked about, not everything that you've talked about, but for a lot of things, including some of the passes for some of the premium features, um, you can actually buy them with in-game currency so there's there's quite a sort of active economy in that regard as well but you're right there there is a lot of stuff that is there to incentivize you to spend money but so far i found that if you're just sort of playing fairly casually a lot of it you don't necessarily need that much 
a lot of yep. those microtransactions and like the the monthly premium pass and that sort of thing they're aimed at people who are playing this every day and leveling all the characters and playing playing in a more sort of hardcore thing so it effectively works out in the same way as paying for a subscription for an mmo if you if you're paying for a premium set each month you're basically paying about the same amount as you would be paying for something like final fantasy 14 or something like that sure sure and i th- I, th- I think that's who it's aimed at but yeah, yeah oh, I, absolutely. I, 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 I completely understand like being faced with that and and, and thinking it's a bit obnoxious though but uh yeah it's yeah the, the issue I, I the issue it. to me is like it's not necessarily the monetary investment like i understand that it shakes out yeah. to be about the same as a subscription would be for a standard mmo mm-hmm. but the difference is the way it affects the overall design of the game yeah yeah like there, there are yeah, there are things that wouldn't be a factor if this was a standard premium game but are because it's a free-to-play game and like yeah. it's not so much the money that bothers me in regards to the free-to-play miss so much as the way that it's extremely transparent the yes. way the free-to-play nature has affected the design of the game mm-hmm. in it at its core and like that's yeah. the stuff that offends me about the free-to-play mm-hmm. but I mean, flip side, the game is fun as hell to play. Like, the action is smooth and great, (laughs) like, and the designs of everything is beautiful, and it's just, it's a really good time. I just find that, because I'm extremely sensitive to the nature of free-to-play design, and I can, like, sniff it out immediately like a bloodhound, like, it offends me, and when I play it, I'm like, I would rather just go play Monster Hunter, or, like, I would rather just, I would rather play a game with a subscription fee, where my $15 a month makes the game fully accessible in all ways yeah yeah like i just i find the design of free-to-play offensive Mm -hmm. and i tried i really tried with this game but like once again i bristle at it and my head just goes to that place where like i would rather play games x y and z that are premium that don't limit my capabilities because i've invested in them yeah yeah i I think my, my perspective is slightly different i think because because for those who don't know sort of between my time at uh, GamePro and my time at us gamer uh, i worked on a site called uh, inside social games where i was writing about um and exposed to the very worst of mobile social <laughs> and free-to-play games so i have seen i've seen things yeah 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 i've seen shit you wouldn't believe like full disclosure right like i'm not saying that this game is a bad example of free to play i'm actually saying it's one of the best examples of free to play i've ever seen yes because that's exactly what i'm saying because i'm still playing it even though i'm having these complaints right when when i when i see when i think back at some of the shit that i had to look at when i was when i was working on that site and sort of uh, attending conferences and listening to people from zynga talking about quote unquote fun pain <laughs> yeah well that's just it right uh, yeah it's yeah i i mean as you, as you say some of these elements are there and present in fantasy star online too and that should shouldn't be ignored and would i prefer this to be something that i paid 40 dollars for and it was just there yes absolutely but it is what it is there's not a lot we can change about that i enjoy it um i haven't made as much time for it as i perhaps could have done but that that is primarily because there is so much other stuff that i want to play (laughs) yeah that's part of it too yeah i'm probably going to be dipping in and out of this for quite a while and the structure is quite friendly to that because the sort of individual quests you go on they tend to be like no more than like 20 minutes absolute maximum and mostly more in the sort of five to ten minute mark so it absolutely is a game that you can boot up and have a quick play on and enjoy yourself with 
So, but there is plenty and plenty of long-term stuff in there to explore as well. So this this is something I'm probably going to have installed for a long time. I'm not necessarily going to play it every day or even every week, but I think it's probably going to have a permanent place on my hard drive for the minute. Yeah, same, absolutely. Because there's there's times when I want to play it. I just, I guess my disappointment is that like based on what I have played, I don't love it as much as I wished I loved it. So yeah. like, yeah. I can't like fully dedicate my life to it for a few months, <laughs> like I did with the original. Like, the original Fantasy Star was my life yeah. for like yeah. a long time, um, yeah. and I wanted that again. I wanted to feel that yes. way again, and um, yes. I just can't with this one for a number of reasons. It's not just the free to play stuff too. Like like you mentioned. Yeah, I know. Um, I was it's, going to say you got you got to remember how long ago the original Fantasy Star Online yeah. was as well, and that you're a different person now. You're in a completely different life situation, and yeah, like, even yeah. if the, even if this was a forty dollar game that you could just play, you wouldn't have necessarily been able to do that anyway. So no, that's true. But like, I'm just I'm talking about like design differences and stuff that make yeah. it less fun yeah. to me than the original Fantasy Star was. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, like I was mentioning with the gear drops and stuff. Like, one of the things that was most interesting. For the original Fantasy Star, I mean, the original Fantasy Star was essentially the ethos of Diablo applied to a third-person camera. Yeah, it was great. Um, but one of the things that was interesting about Fantasy Star was just like a general sense of restraint. Mm-hmm. It was a really simple game, and there wasn't a hell of a lot you could actually do besides just enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I find the overall amount of management you have to do for your character in Fantasy Star 2 really off-putting. Mm-hmm. Like, you go on a quest that takes 15 to 20 minutes, and then you have to run around in the hub for 15 or 20 minutes in between every quest to, like, unload your items, like, do yeah, this, yeah. do that, craft this, craft that, re-up, get your, new, get your new client orders. And, like, I don't have fun with any of that. Yeah. And, like, I just, every time I play it, I'm like, I'm having so much fun, I'm having so much fun. And then I finish my quest, and I'm like, okay, now I gotta level all my weapons up. Now I gotta (laughs) spend my class points. Now I gotta, now I gotta get new client orders. Like, I just wanna go on another, I wanna sell off the five or six weapons I got that I didn't want, and then I wanna jump right back in. Yeah. And, like, the, the interruption of, like, the... The interruption of the action and the interruption of the feedback loop inherent in the hub world character management stuff I find really mm-hmm. off-putting because of yeah. the sheer volume of it and how long it takes. Yeah. Um, there's so many things from like a quality of life improvement perspective that could make it better. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, this is not the game's fault because the game is eight years old and this is just how they made these games back then. But yeah. like, I- I'm thinking immediately to uh, Snack World. Like you and I yeah. are obsessed yeah. with Snack World, right? Snack World knows this shit is cumbersome, so mm-hmm. Snack World built a fast travel mechanic into its hub, its hub town. Yep. So like, I can pick from a menu and say, now I want to go to the weapons shop, now I want to go to the place where I can get quests, now I want to go to the item shop. Like, just the fact that I have to run around this big stupid hub... <laughs> and like, oh shit, where's the where's the place where I can cook food so that I can get stat boosts from food from all the items I gathered? Oh, well first I have to go in the elevator to go to floor two of the hub ship. Then I have to go to the third floor of the second of the second area of the hub ship that I reached via <laughs> elevator. Then I have to go to the cafe to the right of that. Then I have to find the lady on like the far right hand corner that lets me cook like it's 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 too much and it's not fun 
Yeah. I don't like it. Um, and that's, <laughs> and it's not really the game's fault because this is how, yeah. Yeah. N- this is how 2013 free to play online MMOs were built. Yeah. Like, yeah. but it's, it's just not for me. Mm-hmm. I, I want a, a snappier, more like the hub in Fantasy Star Online was teeny tiny. Yeah. You went to the shop. The shop had two walls. The item shop was on one side of the wall. The techer to appraise your weapons and the weapon shop was on the other side of the walls. And there was another room you could go into for quests. Mm-hmm. Like PSO2, there's like eight different quest counters. Plus, you've got to manage all the people who give you client orders. Plus, the weapons upgrades, the, the techer, the weapons salesman, then all the free to play shops, the quest counter, the alliance counter, the, like I mentioned, the, the cafe where you craft accessories and craft food. Yeah. It, it's, it's just too much. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I think a, a lot of the game design is built around conventions of um, mobile games. Yes, and I oh, think absolutely. Pe- I, think, I think people who have spent a lot more time with uh, sort of gacha games and that sort of thing will be more receptive to this sort of thing because they people who have played those sort of games are used to being overwhelmed with items and used to having to go into all different places to do different things and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I think that's part of it. Like you say, it's it's not necessarily the game's fault. It's been designed in a way that a certain type of player will be familiar with and comfortable with. And sure. yeah, it's, yeah, it's just not for you, which is yeah, which is fine. Yeah, I, I respect it. It's just mm-hmm. it's not for me. But like MMOs are a hard sell on me because of this. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like one of the yeah. reasons I don't like MMOs is because I don't like how much time it takes to run around town, do shit in between. Yeah, you know, like I, I want to fast travel. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I just I just do. Like I like games like I like love heavy character management games, like inventory management games, games with crafting. Like I mm-hmm. keep mentioning Monster Hunter because like Monster Hunter is a huge part of my life. But like Monster Hunter feels more like old Fantasy Star than a Fantasy Star two feels like old Fantasy yeah. Star. Yeah. Um like, so, like I love Monster Hunter and like so I, I don't know. I, I just I don't love it as much as I want to love it, and I'm sad about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's understandable, I think. That's understandable, I think. But uh, yeah, cool. Well, I, I wanted to acknowledge that because I know that that was a big thing that we were we were both looking forward to, and uh, yeah, there, there there it is. There it is. Like I say, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be sort of returning to it off and on, and maybe writing a few bits and pieces about it here and there. So. Yeah, the same. Right. We should we should put our screen names in the in the stories when we post the podcast in case people want a friend to add us. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. All right. Okay. Um. So, what else have you been up to recently? Then uh, I've still been chipping away at Sakura Wars, so I don't really mm-hmm. have much new stuff to report. One thing I did want to give a quick shout out to that I did play about a week ago is I finally had a chance to dig into the console version of Assault Android Cactus Plus. Which is, oh, yes. I know, yeah. which is, I know, a game we both loved on the PC. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to say that, like, it's a delight on the Switch. Uh, yes. Couch co-op <laughs> <laughs> totally changes this game in a way that like, I never imagined. Um, I think there was cou- like single, like single, like couch co-op on the PC version that got yes, patched there was. in eventually there was, yeah. too. But I just never got a chance to do it because I'm not going to huddle around my computer with people. Yes. So, like, to, uh, on the console, on the Switch, the ability to bring it to friends' houses, like, uh, my buddy Dan and I played for, like, two hours the other day, just, like, ripped yeah. through the story mode, had a blast. Uh, Assault Android Cactus is the best. Yeah. 
such a such a good game it's one of my all-time favorite shooter maps because it's, it's just designed with so many layers of um accessibility and fun and mechanics and that sort of thing so it's it's designed in such such a clever way in that you, if you just want to enjoy the spectacle of enjoying a really fun shooter map it doesn't really put up any resistance to that but if you are someone who enjoys chasing high scores and s plus ranks and that sort of thing as well it's also got the facility for that baked into it as well and it manages to pull that off without sort of splitting that off into different modes and that sort of thing everyone is playing the same game it's just while you're playing it you can choose to focus on different aspects of the experience sure and it's it's just such a such a masterfully designed game with some great characters and some lovely mechanics and beautiful presentation and uh yeah and the extent to which every character radically changes the way the game plays too like yes. S- yes. So, like some of the other characters are like what you would traditionally expect in a normal shoot 'em up in terms of like different mm-hmm. characters like oh one girl focuses on a spread shot one girl focuses on a piercing laser like everyone's different but in expected ways but then they start throwing in the weird characters Yes. Like the girl whose standard fire is a drone that you control. So like yes. you you have to you have to worry about being her and dodging while also worrying about the positioning of this drone, which you have to like instead of railing on the attack button and holding the shot button down, you have to like press and release the attack button to like boomerang the drone back and forth to cover yeah. space in between you and like the drone's maximum distance like yep. it's basically a different game when you're playing mm-hmm. her and it's un- it's unreal how like creative some of the firing patterns and different attack methods get in this game yeah yeah absolutely this this game is a real sort of success story of um I know we sometimes down on like early access and post-launch support and that sort of thing, but this game is a real success story of how that can work really well. Because yes. this originally launched in PC early access back in, I think it was like 2013 or something like that. Yeah, it's because been around I, for a while. I, re- I originally went to see it at the Eurogamer Expo in London when I was at US Gamer. Um, so my, my boss at US Gamer, Jazz Regnall, he he just said, oh, there's this, this is game that I'd, I'd like you to go and look at. It sounds really cool. And I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. I hadn't heard of it before or anything like that. But I went there and I talked to the guys behind it and they were just showing it off with just such obvious passion for their own project and reverence for the stuff that they were paying homage to in the game as well that it was just like, okay, yeah, I'm going to follow this game's development from now on. And yeah. I picked up the early access version and continually played it with every new update and I bought the PC version and I bought the PS4 version I bought this uh, super rare games limited press version of the Switch version and it's it's just such such a good game and I'm so glad that it's had the recognition that it deserves over the years because it's it's a fantastic shoot 'em up. I spend an abnormal amount of time wondering what Witch Beam might get up to next. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely yes right uh anything else you've been up to that's it for me unless you want to talk about the thrill of a good game of checkers with clubhouse games <laughs> I'm, I'm quite happy to talk about that yes because that is that is actually one of the main things i've been playing recently yeah um so um yeah 51 worldwide games or clubhouse games 51 worldwide classics whatever you want to call it it's probably called something different in japan again um yeah, so this is out now for Switch. It's a game we've both been alarmingly excited about for quite a while. <laughs> Check um, ours! Yeah, yeah, it's 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 fantastic, um, and yeah, I'm I'm really pleased that it's it's 
such a good package that there are these 51 games in there and it's a really great way of learning not only the basic rules of these games but how to play them effectively as well so i found that all of these games have some sort of what they call an assist mode which isn't sort of telling you what you should do but it's sort of making the things that are possible to you a bit more open and clear like if you look at the um the way they implement chess and shogi there's uh, an option to display a threat map on the board um which means that uh different squares will be highlighted in different colors according to whether or not uh, a particular piece is capable of taking something on that space and it also where there's pieces that both sides could potentially take um there's a sort of uh, a dividing line that shows proportionally how likely you are to get taken if you go there and that sort of thing it's it's really cleverly designed and I, I i sort of won my first game of chess possibly ever the other night against the ai because i was making use of this feature and sort of being able to spot moves that it was possible to make and understanding the strategy of the game a bit better yeah it's just it's just such a such a beautifully designed package that is designed for people of all skill levels to be able to enjoy Ah, and then you've got the, re- yeah. the, orig- the original turn-based strategy RPG. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shogi's actually really fun. I'd like being completely daunted by it before, but it walks you through. It's got a series of lessons that walk you through how to play the game and how the how the pieces move and so on. And like as soon as you've gone through them, you're like, this isn't actually that complicated. Uh in in terms of basic mechanics. Like the obviously the depth of it is in the strategy and so on, but uh yeah it's fascinating fascinating and there's some really fun games in there as well so as well as board games you've also got a lot of these um what they call toy games as well which are like digital recreations of sort of plastic mechanical toys like you've got a table football thing and you've got a twangy tabletop curling thing and you've got air hockey and baseball and that sort of thing and what I said in in the article I wrote about this the, the other day is it reminds me very much of um, the days of the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Sure. In that in that these are very simple adaptations of sort of established and well known and well loved and understood games, but they're designed in a simple enough way that anyone can grab a controller and be able to have a bit of fun with it. So like, there's no need to worry about sort of like calling plays in football or all the intricacies of baseball and so on it's literally just throw the ball hit the ball (laughs) when i was when i was initially interested in this game i was like this shit's stupid i only really care about the classic board games yeah but then like i had a buddy over and like we played the slot cars we played the soccer slash football we played the darts we played all this stuff and it's so much fun yeah um touch screen air hockey like, yeah. it's so much fun. And, like, how is the dart <laughs> so good? The Nor- dart is fucking amazing. Like, the, the, the feeling of how authentic throwing a Joy-Con is. <laughs> it's amazing. I, I am normally yeah. captain of the SS fuck motion controls. <laughs> I, I hate Nintendo's stupid motion control stuff. But the darts is it's so much fun. <laughs> Is so much like I don't know how they've done it with the physics of like the way the motion accelerometers and stuff pick up pick it up, but like there's a genuine feeling of like the gravity of like the way you're lobbing it with the right amount of force. It's like a really realistic read on that, and like because yeah. like yeah. I used to play darts a lot, like and it feels as freaking close to authentic as you could probably get with a digital accelerometer throwing at a screen. Yeah, like. Yeah. 
I can't believe how good it is. It's better than it has any right to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's great, and like the, the the wealth of ways that you can play multiplayer as well is great. Like you can play you can play stuff on your TV with a couple of controllers, or you can play local play uh, with someone else who's got a Switch. There's a free downloadable demo version that you can play the the multiplayer of all the games with so like you only have to play one copy of the game to be able to play up to four people with their own switches with all 51 uh, games it, yeah yeah all 51 excuse me all 51 games uh then there's the online modes there's the differences between like the you can play it in tabletop mode with touchscreen controls or you can you can mosaic switches together so like for the slot cars you can put like four switches together in different arrangements and that will create different tracks for you that's really neat um have you have you seen what the fishing one can do? Where like if you if you lay a bunch of switches together as a river and then stand one up at the end, the one standing up has a waterfall on it. No way! <laughs> it's so crazy. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, and this game is powerful, man. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I took this. I have a I have a, a very good friend. And we get together almost about once a week for board games. And I brought this over to her house, and she was like, I don't know, I really like appreciate like board games and the physicality of board games. Yeah, and I was like, "Me too. I love board games. I'm not. I'm not saying we replace board games with this. I'm just mm-hmm. saying give it a try because this is also cool. Sometimes yeah. you don't want to do cleanup. Yeah. And yeah. then we we I... just sat down, and I was like, "Let's just play checkers." And like yeah. four, 45 minutes later, we had banged out like five rounds of checkers with zero, <laughs> with like zero cleanup. And she was like, this is incredible. I'm buying this. <laughs> and I was like, you also know that when we don't hang out, when we don't feel like hanging out, when you, if you buy this, we can play checkers in our undies at home online. <laughs> yeah. And she was like, I'm a hundred percent buying this. Like it, it's, it's yeah. so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's great, and I I think sort of the value of having these established so many of these established classics in one place and not having to sort of manage different boards and stuff. Like, think about if you're having a game night at home, if you want to play checkers and then chess and then backgammon and then Ludo or something, then you'd have to get out a board and pieces for each and every one of those games, and each one would take a lot longer to play than it does on 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 um, the Switch. And yeah, you, you wouldn't be able to get as nearly as many games in. And I know that's not necessarily the point, but yeah, just just the the ease of access to all these games is great. I'm actually quite impressed at how they've sort of um, how they sort of captured as much of the physicality as it's possible to capture with the digital version as well. Yeah, it's because, really interesting because there are some like the the whole look of the game there's a very sort of solid look to all the playing pieces and like they they're all like sort of made of wood and shiny and that sort of thing they all make wonderful sounds they've got these beautifully recorded sounds of like counters clacking on boards and chess pieces being slapped down and when you're playing Hannah Fudder, rather than just putting the cards down you always slap them on the table and that sort of thing um but then there's also really subtle use of the uh the rumble feature and the controllers as well mm-hmm. um and it's it's really subtle but it's really effective like uh when it's your turn for example it will just nudge you every couple of seconds just like a slight tweak on the controller like not a big or anything like that you just get like get a slight nudge in your hand to say hey it's your turn get on with it but like when pieces are moving around or when you're moving cards around you can feel that through your controller and that sort of thing as well and there's just so so many little touches in there it's just filled with nintendo polish it's wonderful absolutely wonderful yeah, it's it's you know when we joked about it in prior episodes, like the Connect Four, 
Like yes. the, the sound of the chips dropping into yeah. the into the thing. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 the sound of my childhood. It sounds exactly like my old Connect Four set. It's perfect. Yeah. yeah. No, I, <laughs> I I love everything about this. Yeah. Yes, we need to get some online matches, and we haven't really had a go yet. Have yeah, we? we. I haven't actually played this in my Switch yet. Oh right. <laughs> I've only brought this to friends' houses, and like, yeah. it's, and they booted it up on their Switches. Mm. So yeah, I'm I'm really look like I might fiddle with it this weekend. I have very little going on this weekend, so I'll let you know. Ah, cool. Well, I'm definitely open for many games of whatever. Yeah, I can't right. wait to learn how to play Uncala. 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 I've always wanted to learn how to play that. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that is unironically one of the main things I've been playing recently, aside from uh, Manakemia, which I'm covering on Moe Gamer, which I talked about extensively last time, so I won't carry on with that. <laughs> the other thing I want to uh, acknowledge, um, but we're probably going to do like a, like a, a full-on episode on this at some point, so I won't talk about it too much now, is the Evercade. Mm. Um, which, Don't fool uh, yourself. Which we've mentioned a few times previously. We're going to do Evercade. dedicated episodes for like each Evercade cartridge. It's just going to become <laughs> our, it's going to become our life. <laughs> Oh, definitely. Well, I'm I, I'm definitely planning on like writing about each and every one of these games. So, yes, a podcast episodes are a definite possibility. We might as well just um, start a separate Evercade podcast, <laughs> like a half hour <laughs> weekly Evercade episode, <laughs> like a book club, like Evercade book club. Like pick two yeah. games. Yeah, it's not a terrible idea, actually. Not a terrible idea. Anyway, uh, Evercade, if you're not familiar, is a retro gaming handheld from Blaze who have previously made uh, sort of a few sort of uh, mostly Atari handhelds and things like portable 2600s and so on. Um, this is their system that uh, has um, cartridges. So rather than being like a preloaded system with a bunch of games on it, you buy collectible cartridges for it. They're all about £15, $20 or so. And each cartridge comes with a selection of games that are usually themed around a publisher or, um, yeah, mostly, mostly publishers at the minute. Um and yeah, so it's uh, about the size of a PSP. Um, it's got pretty much the same screen as the PSP, so it's quite a low-resolution screen, but you are just playing 8- and 16-bit retro games on here, so that doesn't really matter too much. Um, and yeah, each of these cartridges has got... Like, the the, the, the most sort of um, chock-a-block cartridges have got 20 games on them, so there's like two Atari collections that have got 20 games on them. Uh, there's the, the Pico Interactive Collection, which is a publisher who uh, resurrects a lot of stuff that um, either licenses have expired or stuff that never got actually released. There's 20 games on there. Um, there's two Interplay collections. There's a Data East collection. And yeah, there's just so many, so many great games. I picked up the All In Bundle. Uh, which is all 10 of the launch cartridges and there's over 120 games to play on this system so like even if they never release another cartridge for this i have 120 excellent retro games to play either on a handheld uh, or i can connect it to my tv via an hdmi cable um and they've already announced the next four cartridges as well so there's going to be two atari Lynx collections uh there's going to be a compilation that contains uh xeno crisis and tanglewood which are two modern mega drive games that uh developers have released uh and then the most recently announced one is an oliver twins collection which contains a bunch of dizzy games and some of the other stuff that the oliver twins did in their early days at codemasters so yeah it's a really exciting little device um there have been like a few teething issues along the way most notably with things like button mapping and some of the games have a bit of a problem with hdmi at the minute particularly if you're running through a game capture device um 
But I want to give a real shout out to the Evercade guys here because they have been communicating really well with the community. They've got their own, uh, there's an official Discord uh, where you can talk to them and they've been uh, accepting feedback and bug reports and so on. They've been keeping people very up to date with the progress on um, sort of firmware updates that fix these issues. So any problems that there are now, sort of their level of communication and support so far, I have complete faith that even if there are like a couple of little issues now with some of the games and certain things about the system, those are going to be fixed in time because they've done such a good job so far and they've done an amazing job launching something as ambitious as this in the middle of everything else that's going on right now. So I'm, I'm really excited to start diving into this in more detail. A device like this lives or dies by its fan community. Yeah. Like, yeah. so it's, it's super important that they keep that um, connection strong because yeah. this isn't it, casual folks aren't picking this up on a whim. This is a, this is a fans are going to pre-order every, like, I've, I've committed myself to, like, uh, full collection on this. Yeah. Like, I will pre-order it. Unless one of the carts that comes out is, like, only shitty sports games from 1992 cart. Like, then I, like, (laughs) I'm pretty, I'm pretty committed to buy everything that comes out on this. Just for the sake of, like, the historical preservation and experimentation. Because the cost, yeah. the price of entry is so low for every cart. that yes. it's, it's hard to say no. Like, yeah. like, this Oliver Twins collection, like, I don't even really care about these games. Like, I played some Dizzy games back in the day. Like, I don't love them or really care. But, like, if it was one or two Dizzy games on a cart, for 20 bucks i'd be like f this but like it's a bunch of them plus the weird dizzy puzzle game it's like yeah i will pay 20 dollars just to be able to fiddle and experiment with these games because at the price of entry i also don't feel the necessity of commitment yes to, to finish or spend hours on any single game i can dip mm-hmm. in dip out experiment play with design get an idea enjoy the art then move on to a different game this is the yeah. way this is gaming the way i like it Mm-hmm. yeah and i think the the other thing very worthy of praise in this as well is that the the collections of games that have been released so far and that are on the way um they're not necessarily the first things you might think of when you think of particular publishers or platforms they, no, they're they've taking pains yeah they've deliberately taken an approach that isn't like um sort of the same stuff you get on an atari flashback console or the sega mega drive mini or whatever that sort of thing they've deliberately picked more obscure stuff that doesn't get as much love i'm thinking because, pretty specifically about the namco collections yeah yeah exactly like the namco the, the the namco museum 2 collection has games like burning force and dig dug 2 and that sort of thing and these are games that are, as far as i'm aware have never had a re-release Philios, Philios is on it yeah. like what the hell <laughs> <laughs> Also, um, uh, they actually, um, they're publishing on one of the carts the first official English version of the, like, the, I think it's the third Mappy game. It's Mappy Kids, isn't it? Yeah. Mappy Kids. Like, that's never been available in the West with an official English translation before. So, like, yeah. it's even, yeah. like, incredible, like, preservation stuff like that is happening on it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's yeah. full of curiosities. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's a, it's a really exciting system. Um, 
that uh, yeah like I say I've got it in my hands now so there's going to be some some coverage of all the games and the things that are available for it on Mario Gamer starting from uh, well when you hear this podcast basically um, so look forward to that and with 120 games to cover I am in content for a long time <laughs> they've also said too because like people have questioned them about like why are there so many fighting games yeah even though this is there's no two player capabilities in the Evercade and they very explicitly said like we are exploring a console, a TV yes. console, that yes. will use the same cartridges yes. that will have two-player capability. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. oh, yes, so, please. Yes, definitely. Yeah. A, a, a lot is going to depend on the success of this initial handheld. So they, they're encouraging people to sort of... Um, obviously pick up the cartridges and leave reviews and that sort of thing so if you are picking up one of these then do make sure to talk about it support it that sort of thing because i'd really like to see this thing be a success because it's, it's generally one of the most exciting things i've seen for quite a long time more excited about the evercade than i am about the ps5 <laughs> unironically yes <laughs> <laughs> but that's because i'm a stupid old man yep same and i wouldn't have it any other way Anyway, um, yeah, I think that's probably everything I want to talk about for the minute. As I say, we'll talk more about the Evercade in at least one dedicated episode in the near future. So uh, look forward to that, I guess. Mm -hmm. So uh, for now, we'll take a short break and then we'll come back and we'll talk PC Engine. So we'll see you in a moment. Welcome back. For our third segment, we're going to talk PC Engine, because recently I picked up a PC Engine Core Graphics Mini, um, also known as PC Engine Mini, also known as TurboGrafx-16 Mini, depending on where you pick it up from. <laughs> uh, here in Europe, it's exclusive to Amazon, um, and they were very hesitant to give a release date for a long time, so it just sort of showed up one day, and I was like, oh, good. <laughs> um, so I've been looking forward to exploring this for a long time, because as I've mentioned a few times in the past, my knowledge of the PC Engine as a platform is almost non-existent, um, aside from conversations that we've had in the past. It's not a system that I grew up with, um, it's not one that I've known much about and sort of looking into it more recently I kind of understand why that is now because um, for those unfamiliar with the history of the PC Engine um, it released in Japan as a competitor to the Famicom and it did extremely well in Japan did very well in Japan it was sort of competing with with the Famicom and because it was technologically superior and had a lot of excellent games for it and eventually the CD-ROM add-on and that sort of thing it did fantastically in Japan uh, when it came to the States it came quite late um, it is so that it was actually up against the Genesis when it came out in the States <laughs> yeah um, which was a bit of a mistake. I mean, it was it was literally like a couple of weeks apart from what I recall. It was like it was like the TurboGrafx-16 released, and then like two weeks later, there was the Sega Genesis. And technically, the TurboGrafx is an 8-bit system, whereas the Genesis is a 16-bit system, so there's a bit more power there. But it's not quite as simple as that, but we won't get too much into technical details now. But no. yeah, basically, basically, it did not do very well in the States. Um, and that meant that... It did come to Europe, but it only came in very, very, very limited quantities. There were a few came to the UK and a few came to Spain, um, but they they were very hard to come by. Not many games got released. Um, France did their own thing. They imported a bunch of Japanese PC engines and modified them to do um, 
Seacam out, which is their variation of PAL. Um, but yeah, other than that, it didn't have much of a presence in Europe at all, which explains why I, I never really came into contact with it outside of a few articles that I remember reading in some games magazines at the time. I remember specifically there was a multi-format magazine called Ace, or Advanced Computer Entertainment, that I used to read. Um, and they used to feature all stuff on sort of the weird systems that didn't get covered anywhere else. So they used to cover stuff like the FM Towns Marty. And oh, the, man. The Sam Coupe and and um, like the Sharp X68000 and that sort of thing. They used to cover all that sort of thing as well. They were very sort of international in their coverage. And they used to do a fair bit of PC Engine stuff. And I always used to think, oh, those games look cool. I wonder where you can get them. And the answer was, you can't. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that that was my sole experience with PC Engine growing up, was seeing an occasional article about them and thinking, oh, that looks cool, I'll never play that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I was very excited to pick up this mini system because it has um, a substantial collection of games on it from both the Western TurboGrafx-16 library and a bunch of Japanese exclusive stuff as well. There's a little bit of crossover between the two libraries, but actually not quite as much as I initially thought there was. No, um, it's surprising how little... I'm looking at the list now, and like weirdly enough, Salamander is on the U.S. and Euro one, and not the Japanese one, which is really odd. And then yes. S- Splatterhouse is on the U.S. and Euro one, but not the Japanese one. Yes. Uh, but then uh, uh, some of the CD games, Tengai Makyo Two, Manjimaru, is on the Japanese, but not the U.S. and Euro one, and Tokimeki Memorial. So a a, a massive text-heavy RPG and a dating sim. So understandable that they didn't bring those <laughs> over onto the Western version. Yeah, yeah. So so they 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 haven't sort of localized anything that wasn't already localized. So for example, there's a there's a Japanese version of Snatcher on there, but if you don't read Japanese, you are not getting anywhere in that game. So it's there. But you you need to be able to play the Japanese version. I'm sure I'm sure some person somewhere has probably already figured out how to put a fan translation ROM on there. But uh, oh, yeah. for the moment, if you just pick one up and use it stock, then that's what you have to deal with. Don't forget so, too, there is an English version of Snatcher. That translation yes. exists, like the Sega CD version. Yes, yes. So, um, I mean, the reason I wanted to have this conversation really was, although I've been exploring this library for myself and discovering a few things that I really like already. Um, since Chris is someone who knows a lot more about this platform, I, I wanted to give him the opportunity to sort of give him give me some some recommendations, and we can talk about some of the things that I definitely should be checking out and spending some time with, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, uh, I know you've got substantial notes ready to go. So <laughs> take it away, I guess. I started I started trying to prepare notes for this conversation. Realized I was about two and a half pages deep of single-spaced <laughs> notes and had only talked about maybe six games. Realized mm-hmm. there's like 50 games on this thing and I was like, huh, yep. I better just take a more casual measured approach. So like, I've really been looking <laughs> forward to this conversation because um, I really want to hear some of your thoughts too, like coming to the system with fresh eyes. Mm, yeah. Um, the PC Engine is, or Turbo, I will always refer to it as the PC Engine, because primarily my exposure to it has been on the Japanese side of things. I've yeah. never been like a Turbo Graphics guy. Um, and I've never owned an American Turbo Graphics. I've only ever owned PC Engines. Yeah. Um, yeah. and the system itself is region locked on the cards. So the, yeah. the, the CD system is not, but uh, a American Turbo Graphics and a Japanese PC Engine, uh, the Hue cards, uh, the the the, the so like, uh, for those who don't know, um, 
the card the games for this system are on little cards, almost like credit cards. They're not on a card traditional cartridge. They're called Hue cards, H U. Um, that is because the TurboGrafx slash PC Engine is technically Hudson Soft system. Yeah. Um, the the PC Engine was published by NEC, which is a Japanese computer component company that's quite well known, especially in Japan and a little bit lesser known outside of Japan. But the system architecture itself was designed by Hudson. Yeah. So this is almost like if Capcom had decided to make a system. Well, Capcom did decide to make a system, didn't they? Remember that? Uh, <laughs> uh, remember the remember the arcade joystick? Oh God! Yeah, like, let's not let's not discuss. <laughs> I uh, just wanted to remind you of that. No, no, no. I've ne- that was probably the angriest I've ever been on this podcast. Yes, <laughs> it was just that that exists. I don't think I've ever let so many f bombs slip. But yeah, so. It's important to understand when you think about the the PC Engine that this this is Hudson system. Yeah. So it's like deep with Hudson properties. Specifically, mm-hmm. there's a ton of Bomberman um, on on the PC Engine, which is awesome. But uh, yep. the PC Engine is aesthetically speaking probably my second favorite system of all time. Like second oh, it's only, lovely. yeah, second only to the Neo Geo. Uh-huh. And and what's Special to me about it is, as you mentioned, it is technically, from a CPU perspective, an 8-bit system. It's not a 16-bit system. It's just an extremely powerful 8-bit system. Um, the, I don't like to get too much into technical stuff, but it's important to remember that the the original NES, the Famicom, was only capable of displaying simultaneously on screen 25 colors at once. Mm-hmm. The PC Engine is capable of displaying up to 482 colors at once simultaneously on the screen. Yeah. So, uh, you know, many times on this podcast, we've talked about kind of the rose-colored glasses of, like, retro, modern retro. Games like Shovel Knight or Into Create's Bloodstained 8-bit game, and how they are evoking the imagery of a Nintendo game, but with far more color palettes, far more active sprites on screen at once. So they're much better than what most people remember actual Nintendo being capable of doing. Yeah, these games look like PC Engine games. This is what what PC Engine games were like. Just Nintendo Plus. Just massive colors, massive sprites, um, multi-piece individual character sprites, uh, much larger sprites than old 8-bit systems were capable of. More colors at once. So it's everything you remember about the magic of 8-bit, but more without crossing the threshold into 16-bit. It's a very specific aesthetic, and I find it incredibly pleasing. Yeah. Um, The other thing to remember about the PC Engine is if you like shmups... Oh, yes. That's it. This (laughs) This is the shmup system. This is Shooter Nirvana. Like, there's no other, like, I, there's like, it's, I never ran the numbers, because I don't know the exact numbers of, like, the full how many games are in the PC Engine catalog, but it's probably a substantial percentage. Mm. Like, probably I'm thinking as much as 25%. Yeah, of the, si- of the system's entire library are shoot-em-ups. Like, it's definitely, like, 20% of the titles on this uh, mini-collection are shoot-em-ups. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, kind of, what games are essential for this? Now, I'm not going to touch on all, like, 50-plus games on this thing, because that would be insane. And they're all gold. Um, mm-hmm. 
It's also interesting to remember that the library on offer with the PC Engine Mini is really interesting because they've included not only original Hue card games, but they've included a selection of CD add-on games and super graphics games. Yes. Um, so, much like the Genesis, the Genesis had the 32X cartridge add-on, and the Genesis had the Sega CD slash Mega CD add-on. The turbo, the PC Engine also had an enhanced version with a better processor that came out later called the Super Graphics, and a CD add-on. Um, the Mini just treats all of it as one thing, so you get a selection of everything. So like, in considering what games to talk about today, I didn't even think about the CD games. I feel like that's a, yeah. whole, di- <laughs> that's a whole different discussion to be had, because then we're talking about stuff like Castlevania Rondo of Blood, which, yep. b- by the way, that makes having this instantly worth the money it costs. Mm-hmm. Like Rondo of Blood alone. Because that game goes for like two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars, like done. This is your Rondo of Blood box plus bonus fifty other incredible games. <laughs> um, so what is essential? You can't talk about the PC Engine without talking about Bonk. Mm-hmm. Uh, or um, Bonk, he is he is known in the West. In the original Japanese, he is PC Genjin with a G. It's like wordplay. Yeah. So Genjin, G-E-N-J-I-N, is the Japanese word for caveman. Yeah. So it's it's PC Genjin for the PC engine. <laughs> um, uh, so Bonk, or PC Genjin, was uh, a collaborative effort between three massive houses that we very much love today, right? Red Company, yep. <laughs> Atlas, yep. and Hudson mm-hmm. decided that they were going to make the mascot for the PC Engine. Basically, this yeah. is their Mario. Yeah. Um, so, Bonk is a little caveman with a giant head, and he, and he hits things with his head. Um, so, it's cool. It's got a unique identity. It's got the caveman prehistoric identity. You're fighting dinosaurs. The goofy, cartoony dinosaurs. Um, it's super cute. Um, I never had a PC Engine as a kid, but like in, when I would see commercials, I was obsessed with Bonk. Because yeah. I love dinosaurs. Um, yeah. So I, I always... I think, I think Bonk was one of, one, of the, one of the ones that I would have seen in the magazines at the time. That was, that was sort of one of, the, one of the big showcase games. Yeah, yeah. And like versus the NES specifically because um, the sprites were massive in Bonk. Yeah. As compared to what the Nintendo was capable of. Um, so it was one of its selling features. Um, as we mentioned, uh, a lot of the issues with the PC Engine and TurboGrafx, specifically when talking about its Western popularity, essentially, um, are about how much of a hard sell it became as compared to, like, the Genesis, which was, like, right on its tail. So, like, when you play Bonk, especially the original Bonk, it's, uh, it is a little clunky, right? The pacing is very slow, um, it's not always great. It's not, even when compared to Mario, like, Bonk is a much more deliberately paced and slow-moving game. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a harder sell to people who are specifically used to, like, the kinetic speed and the gravity of Mario, because it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's very slower, it's a little more rigid. It's almost like a, a hybridization of, like, Castlevania's deliberate movement with a mascot platformer. Like, it's, it's a bit more paced. 
Um, yeah. And Bonk's jump attack, where he jumps up and then turns upside down and like uses the gravity of his skull to like drop on enemies, <laughs> is awesome. But it's mechanically unique. Um, and it takes some time to get used to the timing and kind of the way to use it and like how to chain enemies with it. Um, yeah. It's not as simple and intuitive as, as things like Mario and Sonic are. Um, so it's more complicated, even though it is a very simple game. I think that's really the way to describe it. Yeah. Um, I just really like this game and it's like personality um there's a lot of like weirdness to it that just you didn't see in the more mainstream stuff like mario's and sonic's like the the conclusion of the first level of the first bonk you go inside a dinosaur <laughs> a giant dinosaur and you like play through his guts <laughs> like it's stuff it's stuff like that that's really interesting that it does and just just consistent like exceedingly japanese strangeness um, the second game introduced something that would be a hallmark of the series later, spinning off into the third game and the shooter that's part of the Bonk universe, which is um, like weird transformations that like straight yeah. up change Bonk's appearance. Yeah. So like you can get like you can become like cute Bonk, where he gets like sexy anime eyes with like eyelashes, and then he like shoots, <laughs> like he like blows kisses for like a projectile <laughs> attack. <laughs> And it's like it's like stuff like that that like really defines Bonk. Like this this strange silliness. And because the PC engine was so much more technologically capable than Nintendo, it could do this. Yeah. Like power-ups that straight up changed the entire appearance of the character, essentially making him a different sprite. Like stuff like that wasn't common on the Nintendo. You would get maybe a color shift. Like, think about Mario and the Fire Flower, where it just changed yeah. his colors and capabilities. But, like, in Bonk, like, if you want to get, like, the, the flamethrower attack changes the he Bonk's head. He gets, like, two lumps in his skull, and he has a head that looks like a butt. And, like, an angry, <laughs> and, like, an, and, like, an angry face. Like, this, just this kind of stuff. I think Bonk 3 had a power-up where you became gigantic. Like, mm. filled up, like, half the screen and, like, crushed stuff. Which <laughs> Mario would later co-op in, like, the Wii versions of Mario. Like, the way later yeah. versions of Mario. So, it's really interesting just to, to see the weirdness and the specific personality. And, um, like, Bonk is a game that really endears itself to people like me who are really interested in exploring and thinking about pixel art as an art form specifically. Because there's a ton of personality in the animations. Like, th yeah. like, things like Bonk's death animation, where he, like, falls over on his back and, like, foams at the mouth. It's just, <laughs> there's a ton of, like, love for, like, animation as a practice. Like, loving, like, lo like Looney Tunes goofiness, and, like, putting that into a side-scroller. Which really just pumps these games with personality. Yeah. So I highly would encourage checking out anything that's remotely Bonk-related. Um, so you get, um... Bonk 1 and 2, but not 3 for some reason. Yeah. Uh, but you also get Air Zonk, which is, which is the, um, the side-scrolling shoot-em-up set in the Bonk universe. Yeah. Um, which is also really interesting. It's like hectic and fun and like takes a lot of what I was just talking about that makes Bonk so interesting and translates it into a horizontal shoot-em-up. So like the mm -hmm. power-ups you get radically transform Bonk into a different sprite that then changes his abilities and, like, shot patterns. 
yeah. like based on what uh, what you pick up and what uh, friends you take with you. You like pick different uh, options to join you when you play the game that are all like goofy, cartoony characters, and those influence because you merge with them. And like, so, like which character you merge with changes Bonk's transformation. So like, I, there's an adorable like cow robot, and then when you fuse with it, like Bonk turns into like a sexy lady with like giant missile boobs that like launch <laughs> that like launch and like explode with like milk splatters like it's <laughs> goddamn hilarious um yeah it's just that's like the one that i always remember there's like one where he like throws boomerangs and stuff just goofy and fun and like full of like irreverent love of just like silly character design and animation so like cannot recommend bonk enough mm -hmm. um so, have you have you fiddled with Bonk at all yet? No, those are some of the ones that, uh, at the time of recording, I, I haven't actually tried any of those just yet. So, okay. uh, yes, that's, uh, I know what's on my list after we're done here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it should be. It's so much fun. Um, let's see. What else did I think was kind of essential? Uh, arguably, Splatterhouse is the best, mm -hmm. the best home version of Splatterhouse ever is the Turbo, uh, is the PC Engine slash Turbo version of Splatterhouse. Yep. No, no question about it. Um, trying to think here. Uh, military madness. I know you're not a huge turn-based military strategy guy, mm -hmm. but uh, military madness or Nectaris is the Japanese name for it. Is a uh, unique because it's like a hex-based military strategy game, like set on the moon, like on the moon with like some sci-fi, like a sci-fi yeah. flavor to it. It's essentially was the PC Engine's answer to the Nintendo Wars series at the time. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, so that's a lot of fun to play if you just like like hardcore strategy, turn-based strategy. Um, are you familiar with JJ and Jeff? Um, I, I'm sure I, I've, I've read something about this somewhere, but I can't remember the details of it. Wasn't it like it was like orig the original Japanese version was like a Japanese comedy duo or something, wasn't it? Yes, I think. Yes. So um, like this is a really interesting one to talk about because um, it's a very early example of like. Like, something we never talk about here, because we both kind of have the fe same feeling about it, is, like, we don't like to become part of, like, the censorship talks. Yeah. Right? But, like, talking about game censorship and game alterations in the 80s and 90s, it was a very different kind of discussion. Because it was yeah. just fascinating from a historical perspective to think of things like like taking the crosses out of Castlevania and, and ghouls and ghosts and stuff like that. But like, J.J. and Jeff is really curious. Because J.J. and Jeff is the uh, Western version of a game, which in Japan was Kado-chan and Ken-chan. Uh, yeah. Kado-chan and Ken-chan was based on this comedy duo that was really famous in Japan at the time, which is also they would do home movies and like make fun of them. Um, yeah. Kado-chan and Ken-chan's show is actually was the basis for what would become America's Funniest Home Videos. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was the inspiration for America's Funniest Home Videos, Bob Saget in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, so, this the entire point of Kado-chan and Ken-chan, which would later become JJ and Jeff, was that it's 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 a pretty shitty side scroller. <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's not a very good game it's not very fun to play but it is bizarre and specifically it is full of stupid toilet humor yes yes so like in kato-chan and ken-chan the first enemy you encounter is a guy pissing on a light pole <laughs> like with his back to the camera 
and like he's doing like a goofy like squat dance to like the rhythm of the music <laughs> and you just see the stream of pee coming down in between his legs <laughs> and like you kick him and he's just like oh no and he like flies off the screen <laughs> and you like get points like that's the type of stuff that's in Kato-chan and Ken-chan like the birds poop and it's like a little like classic like Japanese like swirly poop yeah. And like, and like, if you hold down and press the attack button, you like wince and like fart, and like, and like a little brown like gas cloud comes out. And like that's an attack. <laughs> so like, Kanochan and Kenchan is like about this stupid toilet humor. Like that's what defines it as a game. Yeah. So like, when they made JJ and Jeff, they like cut the majority of that shit out. So, like, what you're just left with is, like, a... Oh, and they edited the sprites to make them look, like, not Japanese men. Yes. Like, so, like, you you have these just weird men that you don't care about. These weird, like, semi-realistic-looking men. <laughs> you don't care about them. You don't know who they are. In just, like, a bad side score that doesn't make sense. <laughs> and, like, and like the thing that defines the game, which is, like, being able to fart on people and, like, kick guys who are peeing, like, <laughs> is gone. <laughs> like, they, they literally, they edited the fart animation to make it look like you hold an aerosol can. Like, you so you squat down and pull out an aerosol can, and, like, the same, like, fart cloud comes out. But, it, <laughs> but it's coming from an aerosol can that you're holding instead of coming out of your butt. <laughs> Because, like, what was funny about it was, like, it came out of your butt. So, like, if you wanted to use it as an attack, you had to turn around and face your back to the enemies. <laughs> it's like they changed that in, like, JJ and Jeff. So, like, it's just a weird example of, like, like that, those early days of, like, censorship in, in the localization process. And, like, the question is why? Yeah. Like, yeah. why even release this game in the West if you were going to alter its characters so much? Yeah. So, like, I would encourage anybody who's playing this on their Turbo Mini to also play an emulated version of Kado-chan and Ken-chan. Because yeah. otherwise you're just getting this freaking weird side-scroller where you're playing as, like, semi-realistic men in large with large heads not being able to fart on people. <laughs> so, like, you should definitely, like, play an emulated version to compare. But you should also play it because it's just curious. It's a curious game. So, uh, that's interesting. Um, one of the things that's important to talk about when we talk about the PC Engine is the incredible support from the other large Japanese dev houses. Yes. So, I'm talking about, uh, obviously, we covered why there's tremendous support from Hudson, because this is Hudson's mm -hmm. system. But yep. also, Konami and Namco yes. were tremendous supporters of the PC Engine. So... Like, the versions of Gradius 1, Gradius 2, Salamander, are some of the best home versions of Gradius available. Yeah. By far. Of the, of the early versions of Gradius. Um, because later we would get Gradius, like, 3 and 4 on the... I'm sorry, Gradius four, 3 on the Super Nintendo, and that was a great port. But in the early days of shoot-'em-ups, the Nintendo just couldn't handle these games at the arcade level. So yeah. what you saw was just some of the best versions of stuff like Gradius, um, Salamander, the original R-Type. Uh, R-Type 1 and 2 on the PC Engine are considered pretty much the best home versions of R-Type 1 and 2. Yeah. Um, just a tremendous amount of that. Namco really stepped up to support the system as well. So uh, are you familiar with Dragon Spirit? 
Um, yes, I think so. Dragon Spirit is a horizontal shooter. Um, this is something we've talked about many times here, but I love shooters where you are not a spaceship or a fighter plane. Yeah. <laughs> so Dragon Spirit is cool because you are you're a dragon. Um, that like as you get power ups, you like grow more heads and like change yeah. like your fire, like the shot patterns of your fire breathing in this cool like anime medieval setting. So that's like a really interesting game to play. Um, that's from Namco. Um, really, it's a really good port of tech of Ninja Gaiden, like an enhanced, yes. better yeah. than the NES version port of Ninja Gaiden. But like, it needs to be said that, of course, as we talked about here, the arcade version of Ninja Gaiden isn't what we know as Ninja Gaiden on the Nintendo. Um, the original arcade version of Ninja Gaiden is a beat 'em up, but the Ninja Gaiden on the PC Engine is just the NES version plus. Think of it like a remaster. Yeah. Just more colors on screen, more detailed sprites. It's the same game. It's just more beautiful. Um, what else? Ninja Spirit? Yep. Ninja Spirit's awesome. It's just a hectic arcade-style side-scroller with just loads of enemies coming on really fast and smooth and like different weapons you can get. Uh, power-ups that radically change your attack patterns in different ways. So you get a sword that enhances and changes its range, but you get, like, the swinging uh, kunai hook, like, kunai with chain hook that changes to, like, your 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 range of attack and the pattern you can attack with. Um, and you just run, and you just take on, like, loads and loads of enemies, and it's really challenging. That's a ton yeah. of fun. Yeah, I have played a bit of that one. That was, yeah, I was sort of really impressed at the sort of level of energy in that game. It was just, like, constant moving yeah. and hacking and slashing and fighting and that sort of thing it was just really really sort of yeah energetic i think is, yeah, is well, definitely the best word it's one of those games where like baked into its design is the notion that if you stop you die yes. right it's yeah. not it's not like so like castlevania we talk about often is kind of a master class in design and the idea of castlevania is like you should always be stopping to think about what your next move is how do I tackle this jump best? Here's two enemies in a specific pattern. Once I move forward, what is the sequence that I should duck, attack, jump? How do I handle this situation? Yeah. Ninja Spirit is a different school of design from side scores. The notion of Ninja Spirit is the opposite. Like, if you stop, you will die. You have to yeah. keep moving. You have to keep that energy pumping. Otherwise, you will get completely overwhelmed by enemies that will continue to fill the screen. You must keep moving forward. You cannot stop to kill every enemy on screen. You just must keep running and surviving. Uh, and massive bosses. Massive screen-filling bosses. Yeah. Um, which brings me to another point, obviously, talking about the Turbo's, or the PC Engine's success in Japan versus the US's, it is a thoroughly Japanese system. Oh, yes. It's yes. like, like the, the, the Japanese NES. Like, um, the amount of games that are Japanese in theme specifically are massive in this game. Mm -hmm. Stuff like Ninja Spirit. Uh, one very Japanese game that I want to talk about, um, which many people might not be familiar with, is um, Genpei Tomaden. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with Genpei Tomaden? So, um, I don't think so, no. Okay, so Genpei Tomaden is, I believe, a Namco property. I think so, because the he, the main character from Genpei Tomaden also appears in the Namco uh, Namco, by Cap, Namco Cross Capcom uh, strategy okay. RPG yeah. series. Um, I'm sure you've seen him before. He's like a samurai ghost with like a white face and like this huge mane of like red hair. Like, he's, he's visually distinct, and he's around a lot in, like, Namco historical stuff. Yeah. Um, and he has his origins on the PC engine. Um, so, 
I believe the game is called on the PC Engine Mini. They called it um, by a name that would be ported later as, which was um, the Genji and Heiki clans. Oh, yes. Yeah, I played a l- little bit of that last night and was thoroughly confused. Yes, yes. <laughs> so so Genji and Heiki clans is actually Genpei Tomaden, which I think there's an NES version too, but obviously the PC en- Engine version is better. Um, yeah is just the most Japanese game ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, uh, so, the uh, Genji and Heike Clans is the first game, Genpei Tomaden. Um, the second game, uh, the second Genpei Tomaden, Genpei Tomaden Kanani, was, was localized in the West as Samurai Ghost. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the original one is very curious because it is, uh, it plays, it's like three games. It, like, plays with different styles of gameplay in a really interesting way. So, like, level one, you start the game, and it's very much like I was just talking about with Ninja Spirit. It's the type of, like, you must keep running to survive. You have to keep moving, or you will be immediately overwhelmed by enemies. You just have to keep running and dodging. You can't focus on killing every enemy. You just have to survive. Then you reach the end of that level. Then the entire game changes to a different game. Where, with massive sprites that are like half of the screen um, and each character, the character, the player character and some of the larger enemies are actually multiple sprites cobbled together Yeah, that move like uh, paper dolls they have joints um, and you can actually control the swing of your sword based on which direction you're holding um, oh, wow. and, and then you get in these dual battles with boss characters where, like, if you hit sword to sword, it actually clashes. It doesn't do damage. Yeah. So yeah. you have to, like, back off, strike low, strike high. Uh, it's a bit like the 2D Zel- uh, the 2D sequences in Zelda 2. Yeah. Uh, if you if you think about it like that. Um, but these massive sprites, really impressive for 8-bit. Then after that, there's ma- there's maze sequences that take an overhead style, like gauntlet kind of. Yeah. So it's like all three of these gameplay cycles that you, you uh, styles that you cycle through in different ways, each like radically different. Um, and the whole thing is set in this like Japanese traditional version of hell. Yeah. So like, not only are you playing this very strange game, but you're playing it in like these terrifying environments where like there's like lava like lava waterfalls behind like fields of like crying skeletons with like arms reaching out to the heavens like it's just like discordant and like a little bit scary even though it's (laughs) um yeah it's just really cool (laughs) i love this game it's so strange. And, like, once again, like, in a lot of these older games, like, it's clunky, it's weird, it's hard in a way that's not usually fair, yeah. but it's worth playing for the sheer curiosity of it and the ambitiousness of its design. Um, and the uh, title screen music, which is in my head constantly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, definitely play Genji and the Heike Clan. Um... What else do I have? Oh, that was the point where I was like, I better stop taking notes and just start riffing on what's <laughs> up, whatever's on the list. Have you checked out Newtopia? Uh, not yet. No, no. I've uh, I kind of got I kind of got a bit 
invested in ease so i haven't looked oh. at any other sort of uh, in-depth action rpgs on there yet but well, uh, let's yeah. yeah let's be let's be fair like getting invested in ease is worth it because <laughs> um, once again at the time best version of ease one and two period yeah when that can uh, there's something just very specific about the ease one and two version on the pc engine um which was a launch game for the u.s i guess uh pc engine cd yeah um like I think it was a pack-in, actually. Um, I think you I think you got it automatically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Newtopia is like the game that like snooty Zelda fans love to riff on because it's basically <laughs> just it's basically just Zelda on the um, on the turbo, and there's nothing wrong with that because it's yep. got 482 simultaneous colors and larger sprites, and it looks really nice. <laughs> the end. It's just pretty Zelda. Yep. Um, it's great. Love it. Um, what else? Ah, yes. Cannot talk about the PC Engine without talking about the Hudson Shooters. Mm-hmm. Um, which are pretty much the cream of the crop. Like, when, yep. like, old-school PC Engine fans talk about the Turbo or the PC Engine, what they are always going to talk about first is the Soldier series of Hudson Shooters. Yep. Um, yep. So, Soldier Blade, uh, not Soldier Blade, uh, Star Soldier was on the original NES and in arcades and was a very big success from Hudson. Uh, they carried that on and continued that series with four games on the Turbo slash PC engine. And they are all great for different reasons. Um, yep. You get three of the four of them on the PC Mini. Mm -hmm. You get the first, second, and fourth. Yep. Um... No, I'm sorry. The first, third, and fourth, I think. Um, the one you're missing is Final Soldier. So the oh, first, okay. yep. the first of which is Gun uh, Blazing Lasers, which was also called yep. Gunhead in Japan. Uh -huh. um, the second of which is uh, Super uh, Superstar Soldier. Yep. And the final of which, which is the freaking cream of the crop, is Soldier Blade. Yeah. Um, all of these are just very beautifully rendered, brightly colored, hectic shooters um, with nice, chunky sprites um, and a very specific type of power-up system where there's colored power-ups, which are kind of coded exactly the way you would expect it. Red is your yep. standard bullet shot. Every time you collect uh, a red, it powers up the spread of that shot. Mm -hmm. Um Green is like a, a, a spread-specific shot that's a little bit weaker, but like pelts a massive amount of shots, almost like a wind wave. Uh, blue is classic laser, piercing laser, but like yeah. uh, lower spread, uh, but higher concentrated power and piercing. So the mm -hmm. notion with these games is, um, as you, if you collect a different color out of sequence you switch to the other style shot, but if you collect the same color in sequence, you power up that shot. Yeah. So if you collect multiple reds in a row, the red just keeps getting more powerful. So it's like that. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. There's really not a lot to say about these games on a technical standpoint. A lot of their design aesthetic is very specifically... Uh, a lot of their, I'm sorry, their design sensibility is very specifically tied to their uh, nature as uh, score hunting games. Yes, so, yes, they all have like the caravan mode in them, don't right, they? The, the right, timed so, score attack. Right, so like 
uh, caravan modes are something very unique to Japanese games, especially of this period. I don't know how many people are familiar with the idea of a caravan mode, but essentially these games would literally travel the country on the backs of trucks with TVs and consoles on the trucks, and like people would play in score-based competitions the world over. Like, I mean, the yeah. the, all across not the world over, all across the country, and they would have special modes specifically designed for the, the, these score centric play. Yeah. Um, so there's there are lo there are loads of games specifically from this era, and almost all of them are horizontal shoot 'em ups designed for with this type of competition in mind. Um, and these games are part are a tremendous part of that whole culture. Um, obviously, the world of online play has destroyed that. Understandably so, but this was this was how we competed for this is how they competed for score and like notoriety in Japan in the early nineties yeah. was yeah. was games with caravan modes. Quite a, quite a few of the arcade archive series um, on the modern platforms have uh, like a virtual caravan modes with their own leaderboards now as well. So it's still sort of a thing, but without the sure. actual sort of caravan aspect. <laughs> right, but like that's where the term comes from. The, car yeah, the, yeah. the term caravan comes from the fact that these games would literally travel on the backs of trucks, yeah. uh, which is awesome. <laughs> uh, what else? Um, China Warrior is really cool. Mm -hmm. We played China Warrior. It's terrible, uh, but the sprites are it, massive. Is that the one that's called the Kung Fu in Japan? I think so. I think it might be the, yeah. the one with the like giant Bruce Lee sprite and the the guy with the mustache at the end of each level. Yes, yes. Like, it's not it's yeah, not even yes. really fun to play, but it's worth playing just to see how massive and detailed the sprites could be on yeah. on the yeah. PC Engine. Yes. Tremendous. Yes, yes I, I have played that quite a bit. I actually, I actually kind of like that game. It's stupid, but I kind of like it. It's, it's, it's <laughs> the like it, it is what it is, right? It, it is yeah. fun to the extent yeah. to like punching bees is fun. <laughs> like, like um, yeah. Oh, just just going back to like the Hudson shooters. I just want to say that uh, Star Parodia is on here as well. Yes, yes, awesome uh, which game, is, which is awesome. Uh, if only for the fact that you can you can pilot either a Bomberman mech or a sentient PC engine. Yes, as well. yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Star Star Parodia. Uh, I'm sure most people are familiar with Parodius at this point. Yeah. So like Parodius was a side-scrolling shoot 'em up series made to parody Gradius, hence yeah. Parodius from Konami. So Hudson was basically like. We can do this with our horizontal shoot 'em up properties. <laughs> so they made Star Parodier, which is essentially horizontal shoot 'em up Parodius with Hudson characters. Yeah, uh, it's great. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's great. I love it. I love it. Um, it's goofy. Um, I love cute 'em ups slash funny shoot 'em ups, um, and this is a very good example of that. And another example of a game which in and of itself justifies the price of admission for this console because this is a game that goes for hundreds of dollars to own <laughs> physically. Yeah. And while we are on that note, we should also mention uh, Sapphire. Yeah. Uh, Ginga Fukeiden Setsu Sapphire, which is a one of the last games to come out on the PC Engine CD, which is on here, uh, which yeah. is just a beautiful hectic anime horizontal shoot 'em up that goes for hundreds and hundreds of dollars i did i send you a copy to a link on ebay for one that was going for like fifteen hundred dollars like yeah 
this yeah. I, I looked I looked this up. This is this is regarded as the rarest PC engine game, I think. Yeah, yeah it is the holy grail of the PC engine, without a doubt. Yeah. But you also have to be careful if you want it, because a while ago, um, uh, a guy in Japan made really, really convincing pirate copies. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, re- repros. So, you yeah. like, it's almost to the point where it's not worth buying this game physically anymore, because you yeah. don't even have a way of knowing yeah. if the one you've just spent $1,300 on is one of these repros or not. There's, yeah. no, there's no way of knowing they're that good. Um, so, like, this was a huge thing back in the day in, like, the PC Engine collecting scene. Um, but yeah, like, many of these games are expensive on the collector's market, yeah. and they are... Like looking at, like I said, looking at Sapphire, Rondo of Blood, um, the Spriggan titles, and and um, and Sapphire alone, I know, and Star Parodier alone, uh, Parasol Stars as well. Um, that's like two thousand dollars worth of games on the collector's market. Just those like five titles. Yeah. Um, it's unreal, unreal what you're getting on this package. Hmm. Um. What are some things that you've played that that have really like sunk in with you as being like unique? Yeah, well, a, a lot of things you mentioned. Like I've played all the all the Hudson shooters and, and enjoyed those a lot. I'm going to spend some more time with all of those. Um, Parasol Stars that you just brought up as well is uh, a big reason that I was excited for this game because this this is a game that uh, I, a bit like I, I've talked about Rodland before uh, yes. on this podcast and on Mario Gamer, and that that was a game that came to my attention because of uh, an Atari ST demo on a cover disc for a magazine mm. uh, uh, and i never owned the original version of rodland until recently um and it was the same for parasol stars i had a demo version of parasol stars on the atari st absolutely loved it but never had the full version um and it wasn't until relatively recently where i started looking into it that i, I realized that parasol stars wasn't super well known despite being the third entry in the bubble bubble series yeah um because because it only it only came out on pc engine it wasn't an arcade game um and on home computers and a lot of those home computer versions didn't come out there was like a whole drama over the like the commodore 64 and the spectrum versions with like i think this was the one where the the developer's wife got really drunk and broke his commodore 64 and destroyed all the source code for the Commodore 64 port of parasol star so that's why that doesn't exist um but there was yeah there was a really good atari st and amiga version that i'm familiar with um but yeah, I'm, I was really excited to, to finally yeah. play the original PC Engine version uh, on this collection as well. So that that's one that I really like. Mm, yeah. um, Chu Man Fu is another one that I've been enjoying a lot. This is uh, this is a puzzle game that's kind of um, it's I guess you'd, I guess you'd call it a sliding block puzzle, but it's not quite the same as stuff like Soccer Band and stuff. In that you, as well as sort of pushing things around, you can also pull them, so you can't get locked into a corner like you can with Soccer Band style puzzles. Um, so you're rolling these balls around a maze and you're trying to put the right colour ball on the right colour plate uh, but there's also enemies wandering around so you can kick the balls around a bit like in Pengo um, and that sort of thing so so there's this it's just a series of sort of puzzly levels basically but I've, I found myself returning to this game a lot just because the the aesthetic is really nice it's it, it sort of really highlights what kind of for me the distinct pc engine aesthetic is all about so it's like that sort of similar resolution to the nes but so many more colors so much more detail on the characters as a result a distinctly japanese aesthetic and that sort of thing and it's it, it, that's a, re- a real favorite of mine so far yeah that's a great um thing. And we, we 
Yeah, uh, Alien Crush we talked about back on our pinball episode. <coughs> I spent quite a long time playing that. I even forgot that was even on this. Yeah. Sad. It's sad that um, Devil's Crush isn't. Yeah, on that's this. a shame. That's a shame. But uh, yeah, Alien Crush is certainly certainly a good time if you like your digital pinball. Um, yeah, so I've been enjoying that a fair bit. Um, like I said, I've been playing a lot of uh, a lot of ease as well. I I, I fired that up yeah. just because I thought, oh, I'll just I'll just have a quick look just to see how this compares to the version I'm more familiar with, which is the the um, the Chronicles Plus version on PC. Um, oh sure. And uh, yeah, I, I, I sat down and had a quick go, and then sort of two or three hours later, I was like, oh yeah, this is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I love ease so much. Yeah. Yeah, it's, have we ever done an Ease ep episode? Have we ever done an Ease episode? No, I don't think so. E uh, again, Ease was one of the early cover game features I did on Moe Gamer, but yeah, we can certainly do an Ease right. episode at some point because there's... I mean, there's a lot to talk about. There's Memories of Calcutta has just come out on PS4. There's Ease 8 yeah. that neither of us have got around to playing yet. There's Ease 9 on the way. So yeah, I'm pretty sure we could do an Ease episode at some point. Oh, man. But yeah. That's like... Yeah. My love. But yeah, the PC Engine um, version I've been really enjoying, especially the CD soundtrack, which is just fantastic it's like yeah falcom's house band going crazy with their howling electric guitars and their sort of 80s background drum machine rhythms and that sort of thing it's it's, it's a delight to listen to <laughs> this is um i want to i want to say this is uh what's his name um oh god uh why can't i think of his name my goddamn hero. That oh, it's Yuzo Koshiro, isn't it? Episode. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it's Yuzo Koshiro. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's why it's so incredible. Yeah. Um, oh god, yeah. He's. I mean, now we're into the CD stuff, right? Yeah. Have you played? Uh, have you played um, Lords of Thunder? I, I haven't yet. Actually, I've been sort of saving that one because I thought, yes, I remember you talking about this one. And I remember watching some video and just. The face melting guitars and the the whole metal thing going on with it. I've been kind of yeah, kind of saving yeah, that yeah. one, but uh, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, looking forward to that one. Lords of Thunder's Lords of Thunder, so good. Yeah. Um, it's just everything. It's just a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just like blaring heavy metal, and you're a dude in armor, and you have a melee attack, and you can. It's one of those cool games where you can play the levels in any sequence. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's like Mega Man style. So like when you beat the water level, you get the water attack. So then you go to the fire level with the water attack and then the fire level becomes easier. Yeah. Like it's, and there's a shop like, um, uh, fantasy zone style. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, fantasy zone is also on this, yes, isn't yes, it? Yes. Fantasy yes. Zone is on here. You get fantasy zone and you get space hair. Yeah. And Gallagher 88 and, um, Oh. Yeah, there's a bunch of really great stuff. Oh, Super Darius as well. This is the this is like the this might I might buy this. Gonna... I've been pretty dead set against these mini consoles <laughs> for a while, but this is like shmup heaven. Yeah. Yep. Kadash, have you played Kadash? Uh, a little bit, yeah. That's fun. Class based side scroller with light RPG elements. Yep. yep. Great, great time. Uh, what else? Did it... Puzzlers. Yeah. Oh, I tried. I, I, I tried a Paré Gate Ball as well, um, which I was just curious about, and uh, that, that is the first and only time I think I've seen a croquet game. <laughs> oh yeah, you were telling me about that. I'm not familiar with this one. I've played most of the PC Engine's library yeah. in my lifetime, but I don't think I've ever played this one. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'd call this game 
good. Um, but <laughs> it was it was certainly interesting in in that, like I say, I've, I've never seen croquet adapted to a video game before. Um, but like sort of the method of like aiming and taking your shot is really interesting because you most of it unfolds from like a top-down display and you're trying to hit the ball through these gates and so on but when you're aiming your shot um, you sort of get this kind of pseudo 3d view where you can you can kind of see the edges of the gate you're aiming at and you can kind of precisely aim I mean. your shot using that and yeah it's, it's really bizarre really bizarre and like I say I hesitate to call it good um, especially in single player sure but it's interesting <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm trying to only talk about stuff that's on this PC Engine Mini because I very much feel like this should be a, this episode is about the PC Engine yeah, Mini specifically. Yeah. Um, but like one of the things that's most amazing about the PC Engine's library is, as I've said a couple times now, it's very specific Japanese-ness. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there are many games on the PC Engine that are just so Japanese in the sense that they're exploring sports that are really only popular or extremely popular in Japan. Yeah. Stuff like the, the croquet. Um, uh, properties, licensed properties that were only popular in Japan. Concepts that were only popular in Japan. Things like Genpei Tomoden, very specifically exploring the nature of uh, Japanese folklore and yokai and the Japanese notion of, in, of the Shinto underworld. Yeah. Um, uh, games like, there's a game called Honey in the Sky, mm -hmm. which is a shoot 'em up where you play as one of those clay Haniwa statues. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just it's so absurdly, like, the PC Engine is beautiful, and I encourage anyone to explore its library via emulation if you can. Mm -hmm. um, oh, Valkyrie no Densetsu. Oh yeah, I know you said you played some Valkyrie no Densetsu. That's one of like that's one of like Namco's like shining gems on the PC Engine. Yeah, yeah, I, I played a little bit of that the other day, and was I wasn't sure what to expect, but it was yeah, it's a very very interesting game. It was sort of almost almost like a sort of commando style shoot -em up in many ways but with kind of a few rpg elements and shops where you buy stuff and some light top-down platforming and a great great catchy piece of music in the background <laughs> yeah and yeah. just beautiful beautiful sprite work with this gorgeous pastel color scheme yeah. and like a very specific softness to it mm -hmm. oh yeah i mean valkyrie is kind of one of namco's like classic like whenever there's like a namco historical thing like she always makes an appearance yes like there's always uh whenever soul caliber comes out there's always uh valkyrie parts yeah in the character maker to make her um they love her they always bring her back yeah she's wonderful with that classic massive braid yes yeah it's just just a master class in endearing character design um, and uh, Valkyrie Noden Setsu was really interesting because it solved an issue which um, top-down games off with jumping mechanics often had, which was um, jumping is always very challenging in top-down games yeah. when they try to have jumping mechanics. And Valkyrie Noden Setsu, while it's still very challenging, um, addressed this by adding a, a shadow yeah. that moves yeah. with you to show exactly where you will land, yeah. um, which is really nice. Um yeah, let's see here. What else? It's pretty much everything. A victory run? I've I've talked about victory run in the past on a racing games episode. Yes. We talked about Horizon Horizon Chase yes. Racers. Yeah, I I've I've played um, that a bit actually. That's that's quite an interesting one that um kind of reminds me a little bit in some ways of um Taito's Continental Circus, in that it's incorporating hmm. some sort of sim elements in there as well. So you've yeah, got because it's for the home, it's not an arcade game. Yeah. So like it has staying power elements. Yeah. 
So you've got things like this, this like the strong emphasis on gear shifting and maintaining the parts of your car and uh, having to slow down for corners. <laughs> and uh, a, yep. a surprising number of garbage trucks running the Paris to Dakar rally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I just keep coming back to the shooters because every time I look at this list, I recognize another shooter yep. that I haven't paid lip service to. Have you played Aldines yet? Uh, briefly, briefly, I had a brief look at it, but uh, yeah. Or, or to, or to pay it proper respect and refer to it by its full name, Aldines: The Mission Code for Rage Crisis. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Aldines is one of the only well-known games for the enhanced super super graphics console yeah. so looking at the list here there's only two super graphics games on here all dines and the um the ghosts and goblins yeah. the enhanced ghosts and goblins port yeah. uh, all dines is just this incredible shooter with a banging soundtrack and most importantly of all uh, most impressively for an 8-bit game, a tremendous amount of layers of parallax scrolling. Yeah, yeah. Which, above and beyond what 8-bit consoles should have been capable of <laughs> at, the, at the time. Well, I mean, it was pretty rare to it see has... that generally on 8-bit consoles, wasn't it? But, uh, yeah. Yes. More than, like, two or three layers. Yeah. But there's at least, like, eight simultaneously running layers mm -hmm. on the opening screen, or the opening stage of all times. Um, and one of the things Aldine says really well, which is something we've talked about a lot, specifically when we talk about like shooters and side-scrollers, I know we mentioned this a lot when we had our episode specifically about uh, the Psycho shooters, was it's really delicious when a uh, silent narrative building yeah. through stage design, yeah. and like one of the things that Aldine says really well is incorporates the specific like oppressive nature of the war that's going on, and like how in dire straits humanity is mm -hmm. with this like alien threat so like what like the first level of all dines opens with this like just like destroyed cityscapes in the background and then about halfway through the level this like giant mechanical like monstrosity like burrows out from under the ground yeah and then it's chasing you from behind for like the remainder of the stage. So you're like fighting the enemy fighters that are coming at you from the front. This thing is launching homing missiles at you from the back. Um, then you're trying to leverage, yeah, the Aldines mechanically, you get these two ship options that hover around you and you can toggle them either to act independently and home in on enemies or be in front of you and amplify your shot patterns. You have to choose which configuration you want yeah. and toggle that on and off. So like you're trying to protect yourself from the fighters coming at you from the front while toggling the options to homing mode to protect you from the missiles that are coming at you from this mechanical beast from the back. And then you reach the end of the stage then the thing pulls in front of you, transforms into this giant chrome Tyrannosaurus Rex that you then fight as the boss. It's made of, like, 20 independently moving sprites. <laughs> I just, like, I scream at this game. <laughs> like, it's so cool. It's just masterclass in shooters. And I love it so much. So much. There weren't many games on the super graphics. Like this is yeah. one of the few that people really remember. Oh god, just the strength of the library on this thing. <laughs> Cho Anarchy, if you want to make yourself extremely uncomfortable yep. for a certain amount of time. Yep. Yeah, I'm I'm familiar with that from 
sort of uh, some early coverage of it when uh, when people were like uh, this is weird <laughs> yeah 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 so i mean i've actually pretty much talked about almost every game on almost, yeah. i didn't mention moto rotor um that's what that's a uh, motorcycle racing game right i'm not super familiar with that uh, one. that's like uh, it's, it's sort of futuristic top-down racing um oh okay there's some sort of is some sort of elements of micro machines in there as well like sort of pushing cars off the screen and moving them back forwards and there's weapons and stuff oh okay i'm not spending a lot of time yet but um yeah it seems quite interesting that's that's one that's obviously sort of there is a single player mode but that that seems like one that would shine in multiplayer because you can play that one five player yeah just uh yeah i mean that's good we talked about this for an hour (laughs) well Yes, that was that was the intention. I've got lots of recommendations to go and uh, go and play. Um, and yeah, the, well, the recommendation is all of it. Uh, yeah, every yep, single, yeah. <laughs> every single game, every single game on this thing, and then buy a Japanese one too, so you can fiddle around with Tengai Makio. Yep, even though you can't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. But yes, yes, it's been a good investment. I am uh, very happy with it so far and uh, really excited to explore this library because there's a lot of stuff that really appeals to my particular taste in this. So uh, yeah, I'm going to be spending a lot of time exploring these. And again, there'll be a lot of articles on Mario Gamer about this and probably some videos at some point as well. So yeah, please look forward to those. All right, uh, I think that's probably a good time to call it a day. Do you reckon? Nearly an hour? I, Over an hour. I'm out, of, I'm out of wind, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bellowing about the PC engine. Uh, I haven't done that in a long time. Well, I'm glad I gave you the opportunity then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I love this console so much. I can understand why now. I'm a complete convert. So, yeah, job job done. Job done. All right, uh, before you expire completely, do you want to tell people where to find you online? <laughs> Absolutely. You can always find my artwork at MrGilderPixels.com or on Instagram at MrGilderPixels. Mm-hmm. And you can find my writing most days on MoeGamer.net or my YouTube channel, which you may well be watching this podcast on already, YouTube.com slash Pete Davison. Um, several series on the go at the minute. Uh, we've just started Final Fantasy 3 on the Final Fantasy Marathon. Um, I've got my new short play series going, uh, where we've been looking at a variety of new and old games that I just like. We've looking at a couple of MS-DOS games at the moment. We had The Incredible Machine last week. Uh, we've got Descent coming up this week, which is uh, a real favourite of mine. Um, and yeah, yeah, just uh, keep an eye on all those for all the things that I've been up to. As always, thank you very much for watching and or listening, and we'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember you can watch a video version of it over on YouTube. Be sure to check out moegamer.net for new articles on Japanese and Japanese-inspired video games, new and old, every weekday. Every month, Moe Gamer features an in-depth exploration of an individual game or series as its cover game, so be sure to check the archives to see if your favourite has had a deep dive yet. If you'd like to support the site directly, please consider becoming a patron or buying me a coffee. You can find links to do both over on moegamer.net. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.